Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Geeked Out Collecting Podcast, where we talk about everything hobby collecting and hobby investing. We've got Pokemon, comic books, sports cards, Magic the Gathering, you name it. Before we get started with today's episode, I wanted to share with you really quickly how you can support this podcast if you love the content and get value out of it. Please consider signing up for the Geeked Out Collecting Podcast Patreon, where we have a few different tiers you can sign up for depending on how much you're able or willing to give each month. Your Patreon account will cover expenses associated with maintaining the podcast, hosting the podcast, while also allowing me to bring on sound and audio engineers that will help me produce episodes to as high of a quality as I can. It will also allow me to create even more content more often for you to enjoy. A link is in the show notes. Regardless if you sign up or not, I just appreciate you being here. On another note, if you haven't started using it already, I've created a profit calculator tool for eBay that you can use before you create any new eBay listings. It's great because it calculates your listing margins, taking into account all of the fees associated with selling things on eBay. This is completely for free and will always be for free. And you can use it right now at www.profitcalculator.online. And now on to today's episode. For this episode, it's a little bit of a departure of what you typically expect on a Geek Doc Collecting podcast because normally I'm always talking about Pokemon, Pokemon this, Pokemon that, Pokemon investing, Pokemon collecting, all the Pokemon stuff. And today, what I decided to do is I decided to invite one of my very, very good friends, Jason Stum from Certified Comic Shop to come on board to the podcast today to talk about comic books. Because one thing that I do love are comics and the stories and the art and collecting it and just all the stuff so i know like i said this is a departure from pokemon but i think there are a lot of really cool things in here that you might find really interesting pokemon collectors or just nerd collectors hobby collectors out there you name it i think you will really enjoy it because jason is so knowledgeable and there are so many lessons to be learned here not just in the actual comic book collecting that can then translate to pokemon um but also when it comes to if you are pursuing your own type of online nerd collecting Pokemon shop. I think there are a lot of things that you can also take away from this from a business perspective of, as well. There were a ton of business related things that we talked about, which is why I love this episode so much. So I hope you enjoy it. Let me know, give me feedback. And here is Jason. No, it's all good. It's kind of magical that way. Yeah. Uh, I like magic. TBH. <laughs> so what's up? How are you? You know, I'm doing good. How are Love you? That Star Wars comic. Oh my God, it's Princess Leia. I, I just, I just got I that. Post on that. I just got that. I don't know what the grade, I don't know what it would come out to. I think I might've overpaid, but I bought it locally. I bought it at a local sure. shop, you know? I mean, so, so I, I didn't mind. I didn't mind. And, um, I was impatient because I didn't want to wait on the bids. Yes. There were a few auctions. Yes. Didn't want to wait. Saw it. Just had to get it. <laughs> How much did you pay for it? I'll tell you if you ever paid or not. Uh, like 145. Yeah. I mean, it was in the range, but I guess 
what I'm not good at is buying based on the condition. Sure. And I don't know how to, I don't know how to really grade comic books yet, but ah, I don't know. It's all good. That's all good. How have you been? Busy. Very busy. Anyway, hi, Jess. Thank you so much for having me on your show. <laughs> Funny story. I thought we were just doing audio and we're just getting on our little uh, cameras here so we could see each other while we chat. And now it turns out we're, we're broadcasting this live across the internet. Across the whole world. You know, you know it's a good <laughs> thing. I've never met a camera that I don't like because <laughs> a lesser person would be freaked out right now, man. Oh, I'm man. sorry. I just had to get that off my chest. Uh, yeah, so Jason, Certified Comic Shop, we've known each other for a while now because we've known each other uh, in our normal lives, but we'll just keep those secret identities safe for now and just talk about our, <laughs> what we're doing right now. Anyway, like so about, um, geez, it'll be four years ago this March that I found myself in the throes of a midlife crisis. Um, back then I was 43, now I'm 47. But I was at this point in my life where, you know, I, I'm married, I have a great career, I've got four awesome children, uh, actually only three at the time, now I have four. And I just found myself thinking, it's like, is this it? And not like, you know, is this it? I mean, because this is like this awesome life, right? <laughs> but I'm, I'm darn near 50 years old, and I'm like, this is just how I'm going to, you know, live out the rest of my life is working, you know, in, for my job and just doing my thing and and that's great and raising my family and that's awesome, but I, I, I wanted more. So like, I'm sure you too, Jess, when you were growing up, you had like these dreams of a thing that you thought you would be. And I had three very distinct dreams as a, uh, as a kid uh, that I thought I was gonna be. First off, first dream was I was gonna be a professional baseball player. I started playing baseball when I was six years old. I was pretty good at it. I was left-handed, or still am left-handed, didn't change. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, pitched, played first base could hit the ball, could run the bases, all that jazz. And I was convinced that I was on the track to baseball stardom. Now, I wasn't a stupid teenager. I, I, I understood that the odds of that panning out were pretty low. And even though I was confident in myself, I should probably have a plan B, a dream B, if you will. So dream A is baseball. Dream B, if that doesn't work out, I'm just going to be a rock and roll star. Uh, play, started oh, playing yeah, bass guitar, guitar when I was 13 years old <laughs> and, uh, you know, really got into that, was uh, in some bands in high school that we, like, we got paid to play places in high school being paid to gig, which was just awesome. So I'm like, baseball number one, and then that doesn't work out, no problem. Then we'll just turn into rock and roll star. That'll be dream number two. Uh, dream number three, which was just kind of off there, was, man, wouldn't it be cool to own a comic book shop? So that was dream number three mm -hmm. as a kid. And what's funny is, is if I asked you, Jessica, which one of these is the most realistic? Being a professional baseball player, being a rock and roll star, or owning a comic shop, which one of those could the oh, average man. person probably achieve? Probably the comic exactly, book shop, right? Exactly, right, because that's what makes sense. But to me, <laughs> right. that dream was just so far-fetched. It's like I was so distanced from it, but we would talk about it as, as, as young kids, you know, it'd be like, how cool it would be if we had our own comic shop and we'd have all the comics and all these things. And, and it was just this wonderful thing, but it always just seemed not realistic. So as a 43-year-old, as I'm trying to figure out, it's like, what am I actually going to do with myself? Is this what I'm going to do? Am I just going to like write out the career for the next 20 years and retire? Or do you want to try to be something else that there is? I've been mm -hmm. thinking about comics ever since really um like after the marvel movies came out is where i kind of circled back to comics because i've been collecting comics on and on my whole life 
I've got my first comic book when I was six years old, and that was kind of the, the, the scene that set me on my forward trajectory. And, you know, like with a lot of hobbies, you put it down and pick it back up over the years. So there was times in, you know, when I started playing uh, baseball in my teenage years and whatnot, that I was, I was more interested in, in sports, music, and girls, and other things like that, you know, typical teenage boy stuff. Uh, and comic books weren't good for my look. So, you know, you put the comic books aside, right? <laughs> you got to keep up appearances. Exactly. So... <laughs> So then you'd pick them back up again in college and then put them back down to pick them up. Anyway, so uh, it was after like the, the Marvel movies really started coming out and I was just totally into those. I'm like, man, uh, I wonder if I have any comics still in my collection that are worth anything because I was just been lugging them around for the past, you know, however many years. And, you know, like any good collector, I had a pretty good idea what I had, but there's always comics you're going to have in your collection. And, and that's really when I discovered like around 2012 or so, like right around when Guardians of the Galaxy, the movie was getting ready to come out. I, I had a few of those issues that I bought back in 2008. Um, and I just went to like, I went to check on eBay just to see what some of these might be selling for. I'm like, holy crap. Like these movies are affecting the market prices for these comics. And so that made me start to think, I'm like, well, geez. And, and of course, like a genius, this is, you know, genius boy thinking here. I'm like, if you just know what <laughs> movies are coming out and you can have the keys the key issues related to those movies where the characters then are going to be in them and you just, you know, get them ahead of time so you can get them cheaper, wait for the market to spike, uh, you know, a year or two down the road, then you can sell them and then you can make money and you can just keep on rolling the snowball down that hill. Oh my God, you could make a lot of money that way. So that was like my kind of initial thought of wanting to get into that thing because I took those couple issues of Guardians of the Galaxy that I had that I paid $4 for at the comic shop back in 2008 and I sold them, you know, for like, you know, 10, 10 times as much as what I paid. So it's like that kind of like income. It's like, oh, I just need a lot of that. I just need to replicate that over and over and over and over again, right? <laughs> it's a formula. Exactly. That sounds easy. <laughs> uh, and that's when I realized that that isn't as easy as it sounds and that I wasn't the only quote unquote genius who thought of that. There was actually a million geniuses. <laughs> who were already doing that long before I ever got into uh, thinking oh. about that. But it did, you know, it did kind of set me on past. Like, well, no, comic books, that, that was a legitimate dream. That is something I want to do. That is something I'm passionate about. I still had, you know, 15 long boxes of comics uh, that have been lugging around with me uh, forever. Uh, I still had comics that I bought from when I was like, you know, eight or nine years old. Um, oh, wow. So I have these things and I want to do it. So that's when I'm like, you know what? I want to turn it into a legit business. I want it to be more than a side hustle. Uh, but I also have to set some rules around that because I'm not, I, I've seen, I'm sure you have too, uh, or maybe you haven't. I'm older than you. I forget that sometimes. Uh, I've seen, <laughs> I've seen too many people that I know. like, I am going to start this business. They, pro they proclaim boldly. And they take out a loan, mm -hmm. they mortgage their house, they do whatever. And then two years later, yeah. uh, it, it didn't work out. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Again, having a family and four kids and people who rely on me to, uh, you know, provide a, a living for our family. You know, I couldn't do that. Uh, so it's like right. nights, evenings and weekends. And so, you know, my rules were pretty simple. Family comes first, day job comes second. Mm -hmm. uh, don't go into debt to run this venture, you know, don't take out loans, don't yes. max out credit cards, uh, mm -hmm. uh, and always be true to the business. So that's really what I started to do. I started to sell off like these comics that I had, 
uh, in order to start bootstrapping my myself. I didn't want to just be like an eBay seller. I didn't just want to be a guy hustling on Facebook groups and Instagram, although I do those things. I didn't want that to be my, mm -hmm. I wanted to have a website. I needed to have a foundation and I wanted to build a brand uh, of the certified comic shop. Uh, so people understood that this is a high touch, high quality, uh, reputable online shop that they can go to. And that was my focus was to sell graded comics only. I wasn't going to deal in new comics. I wasn't going to deal in back issues. There's just too much going on there. Mm -hmm. But with the graded comic scene, you can actually control your inventory. Your prices are a little more fixed. Uh, sure, it takes a, a little bit of a longer time to acquire graded inventory if you're starting with just like raw comics and you send them out to be graded and you got to wait and you got to do all these other right. things. But at the same time, uh, you don't have, you also don't have customers saying that wasn't near mint. That was near mint minus. How exactly. dare you, sir? Oh. Give me my money back, right? <laughs> That was a nine, not a 9.2, $50. No, exactly. Yeah. I'm sure you've been there uh, yourself. So that's, so that just gave me a little bit more flexibility there. Um, and really just started building up, you know, the shop and, you know, I'm not trying to, to toot my own horn here, but you know, if you search on Google for like graded comics for sale or graded comics, or just graded comics or comic books for sale, you will find the certified comic shop within the first, second, third, fourth, or fifth organic results for those searches. And so on one hand, it's like super cool that I've been over the right. past four years, been able to build this up from nothing, you know, bootstrap myself the whole, whole way. Uh, also again, on my quote unquote spare time, uh, which, you know, when you have a demanding day job and when you have demanding four children and you have a wife and you have everything else, the spare time, maybe 20 hours a week tops. Oh man, if you're lucky. <laughs> tops. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be like three hours a day, right? Yeah, yeah, that's so much time to put into a yeah. project. You're like sleeping six hours yep. a night, maybe. 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 So Gosh. the certified comic shop. Oh my God. What was the question again? <laughs> yes, that's how it started. So it started when I was six and then it just ended right now after I got done rambling my entire life story. But we did it. Now, it was a great one. And, you know, I wanted to ask you because you started at six. And you know, that, that just like, what was the comic that you got when you were six? I couldn't tell you the comic, but what I can tell you was it was a stack of comics and it's a sad, sad story. Um, I was sick. I wasn't feeling good. I wasn't home from school. Now today, like when one of my kids has to stay home from school, they got their computers, they got their tablets, they got Netflix, they got all that jazz. When I was six years old in 1979, ha. Back in my day. <laughs> We had broadcast TV <laughs> and nothing good. So you, as, a, as a kid, when you're my age and you were homesick, you tried to make it until 11 a.m. without losing your mind. Because if you could make it till 11, that's when The Price is Right came on. And for a kid, that was okay. The Price is Right was entertaining. Mm -hmm. But after that, then you were screwed until, you know, like 1.30, 2 o'clock uh, and maybe some reruns of Andy Griffith's show. You could like, you could stomach <laughs> Petticoat Junction. Oh man. Green Acres. Beverly Hills. Channel Four. Oh. <laughs> until uh, you know, until cartoons hey. came on. So I must have been miserable. And my dad came home work from uh, from work early one day, probably just totally annoyed with me being so complaining and whiny, uh, and threw a stack of comics at me. He said, "Here you go, read these." <laughs> and it, Take it, it really was now as a six-year-old, what first <laughs> kindergarten, first grade, whatever I was, I, I couldn't necessarily mm -hmm. read all the words in those word balloons. Uh, and I didn't necessarily even like to read all those words in those word balloons. But what I could do is I could look at those pictures and I could really 
tell him to pick up the story that was going on. So there's probably, I don't know, five or six, I'm just guessing. Uh, if you ask my mom about this story, by the way, she'll tell you that she doesn't remember any of this and she thinks I just make this all up. I'm like, I'm telling you, this really happened, Ma. <laughs> Not a figment of my imagination. Believe me. <laughs> and I can, my, my dad passed away many years ago, so he can't, he can't corroborate the story, but this is how it happened. Um, and I had a, he had him in a, a, a plain paper bag that you would get like at the newsstand, right? And so I uh -huh. carried the, and even then as a six-year-old, even though I didn't realize that I was going to be a collector for the rest of my life, I was collecting them because every time I'd look at those comics, I'd put them all right back in that paper bag that paper Ooh. bag and I put it like you know on the little shelf in my room and that's where they stayed so I was already even at that age like innately into like these need to stay together they need to stay organized and nobody better touch them except for me and when they're not <laughs> exactly. when I'm not looking at them they're in this bag and they're on this shelf oh that's awesome hey you had the instinct as yeah. a kid you grew up just you know right just away grew up a psychopath at the yep, gate start them early <laughs> Oh my gosh. Well, it's been really cool because I think I've watched your business grow for about three years mm -hmm. now, two and a half, maybe three years now. And it's been really, really awesome because you're right. You put in so much damn work. Your organic game is strong. Like you're right. I did a search for graded comics, boom, certified comic shop. What? That's amazing. That That's so, so awesome. So I definitely can appreciate the grind. And I'm kind of curious, you know, based on the conversations that we had, did you start consignment first or did you do content and then consignment? <laughs> that is a great question. Thank you so much for asking it. Yeah. Um, so when I first started the shop, the first thing I did, like I said, I started selling my collection so I can get money to start building my website. Knew I had to have that foundation, right? So as <laughs> I was building my website, obviously, as you know, you got to have really great content. Uh, to get search engines and people to want to come and visit your site. And so I was just like, that's all I could do. I, did, I didn't have whole, a whole lot to sell. Um, you know, I started with my, you know, like I said, I was focused on graded comics. So I had to sell comics to get money so I could afford grading for my other comics that I wanted to send out for grading. So in the mm -hmm. meantime, while I'm doing all this, I've got nothing better to do than to create content, right? <laughs> Make a blog. <laughs> so I start blogging and I start blogging and I start blogging. And really, that's where I started to gain my organic traffic. Um, and then, obviously, as the traffic comes, so do the sales. And again, that snowball, right? It keeps rolling every time I sell something mm -hmm. and I make a few bucks, that gets reinvested uh, into you know acquiring more inventory, going through that whole process again, just trying to keep it all moving forward. Um, right. I got to a point after about, how long have I been doing consignment now? Just over a year. So I got to a point after a couple of years where it's like I needed more income streams uh, because I wasn't willing mm -hmm. to to go into debt to like I Jessica if you've seen some of the comic collections I've passed on buying <laughs> that I know I could have made money on but I just couldn't bring myself to break that rule of not going into debt you like I mean uh -huh. it's like so if I'm not going to do that then I have to find additional income streams and so right you got to figure it uh, out you know one of the things that came that came to me was like well consignments okay, why would anybody, and my first thought was, well, why would anybody even want to do that? You know, why would, why would you pay somebody else to sell your stuff? And I'm like, well, I, I wouldn't, but I know people will. And I realized I did a little research and just about every major online comic shop or auction house, you know, has some kind of consignment services. I'm like, okay. So, all right. So it seems like there's a business here. Okay. Now what, how do I make it? How do I make my brand stand out? Right. 
when somebody right. has heard of my comic shop or somebody has heard of, you know, these other places that do consignments, if they haven't heard of certified comic shop, why are they going to choose me for consignments? Well, right. luckily <laughs> my commission fee is dirt cheap. That's why. Um, and that's really actually the, the majority of my consignments that I started to get at first were from people I was already connected with on Instagram, you know, uh, right. Instagram is where I spend like 99% of my social media time. I just love it over there. Uh, a lot of the BS that happens on all the other social networks just isn't on Instagram, at least in the comic community. So that's awesome. Uh, and so, yeah, I just put it out there. I'm like, Hey, launching a new service, uh, now doing consignment, you know, half the, half the fees that you would pay on eBay you know, that kind of thing. So I just made it like cheap. And for me, it wasn't necessarily at first about making money. Uh, the other part of it was about was keeping the virtual shelves stocked. Uh, again, because right. the, the shop was getting to a point where everything that I was getting back of my own stock from my own inventory from CGC was selling so fast that I couldn't keep the cycle matched up. So I'd have this huge mm -hmm. shipment come in, 20 comics, let's say it's gone in 10 days. <laughs> And I still got 20 more at CGC that aren't going to be done for another week and a half. And now I got to wait for right. those to come back. So that was the other part of it too, is not only do I get another income stream, but then also how do I like keep the shelf stop? Because, because, you know, if you know, oh, there's this great new card shop or game shop or comic shop and you go check it out and you go in there and it's like, where's all the stuff? Where's the things right. that you promised on your big fancy sign? And if it's not there, mm -hmm. they're never going to come back. So that's, that was kind of like this really, uh, anxiety-laden mindset I had when once the shop got like churning that I just wouldn't have enough to keep the shelves full and then that people were going to think that the certified comic shop was stupid. Um, so yeah, so consignments <laughs> no. is, is really just supposed to be a second income stream, just a way to keep this, the, 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 the shelves full, but it turned into more than half of my business. It literally exploded bigger than I ever anticipated. Uh, like I said, it started with just people I was already connected to who were like, hey, yeah, sure, you know what? Uh, I want to try that out, but I've got a couple clients now who uh, one has sent me over 200 comics. Another one has sent me a hundred with about 200 more to go um, that I've made some relationships with. And so there is a, a lot of private collectors out there uh, who do look for that kind of that white glove uh, service. They've got mm -hmm. a lot of books. They have very little time and they're more than happy to, uh, to pay me or somebody to make them go away so they can make a few bucks. So that's really cool. You know, I've, I, I really like your business model because a, it was an organic thing. So your product that you offer and you've been able to benefit from your product is your organic search, right? So having quantity of users coming to your website, being able to buy things at right prices, obviously if stuff is flying off the shelves for you, you know, bringing on consignment business is like that natural organic flow of the growth of your business. And on top of that, you've created like the flywheel effect, kind of like Amazon. So you had the right prices and you had product. And then now you have the service of consignment, which brings people back to your website, where now you're able to increase the user base, increase your monthly, well, you, you know, your monthly visits per month, which also could lead to more sales. And so it's just that flywheel effect where over time, you're just going to grow and grow and grow as long as you stay within that realm and just don't mess up the wheel. Don't, don't, don't break it. As long so, as you have, as long as I have been to sell, that will continue to work. Yes. 
Yes. Yeah. And, and I think the other thing too, like what you were saying, you know, you're other than the fact that you are so knowledgeable, you're willing to put in time. What I think you said on your website, like every 30 or so days, if something hasn't sold, you're going to go back and revisit the pricing, revisit the market, kind of get a feel for what's going on. And you, you keep in touch with your customers for those things, because they may, may want to sell something really quick and they might be a little disappointed if you can't you know, for whatever reason, you know, market or pricing, whatever that is. So, you know, with, with all of that, that work and that time that, that you put into, um, you know, so, so all that work and time that you put into your business, I mean, it's going to just naturally, you know, grow by itself. And, and then on top of that, you know, you can just I mean, I don't know the auctioneering thing. I think that is a really, really huge, like your pricing, uh, I'm sorry, your consignment rate. Uh, I just talked to some auctioneer guys that did that do a whole, whole bunch in Pokemon and sports cards. Like we're talking upwards of 35% sometimes, depending on who you go with, they don't do 35, but sometimes a lot of the times it's what it is. So like what Amazon did, they sold stuff really cheap and it brought people back onto, you know, onto the platform. And then it also brought sellers to the platform because people were on the platform. It's like, okay, if you get girls to the club, you can get guys to the club because girls are there. So it's basic, it's basic math, right? (laughs) It's basic, it's basic math. And it just makes, I don't know, it just makes total sense. And, And you're not trying to, you know, push like a camel through a, a needle, hole, yeah, a yeah. needle head, you know, that, that phrase. Yes, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so. Push a camel through a eye of a needle or something. Something very small. We'll Google it later. We'll be like, <laughs> Oh my God, we weren't even close. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, but I really like that. And, and, and I kind of like for my own pursuits, I've always used, used your ecosystem. Cause that's what you're doing is you're building an ecosystem, um, you know, organically, like obviously through SEO, but also through, you know, word of mouth and um, just in general, your content. So I really like how your ecosystem well, works thank you. and the flywheel. Yeah. And I've always, I've never told you that. Well, but, thank yeah. you. I really appreciate that. And it goes, I think it goes back to this and it's something I learned. I don't know. I'm, I'm not going to say it was a long time ago, but it was like seven or eight years ago. And that if you're going to do anything is you have to have a, a mission a mission statement, if you will, that you kind of, you check yourself against and, you know, without getting onto a long, boring sidetrack about how to, how to craft a mission statement, step one. Now, the mission of the certified comic shop is to help comic book collectors collect the comics they love. Help comic book collectors mm-hmm. collect the comics they love. So that's my mission statement. You'll see my mission statement is Jason wants to make money and take his family on a vacation to Disney World <laughs> after this whole COVID Aww. thing goes away. No, that's not my mission, right? Mm-hmm. My mission is to help comic book collectors collect the comics they love. Um, and because of that, it's like, you know, when you've been in the comic book fandom, you know, sometimes you go into a comic book shop and you realize that you are in some, usually it's a dude, some dude's shop who just <laughs> sees everything as his and is priced mm-hmm. to not necessarily sell unless it's at some stupid, ridiculous price. Um, we right. also see now this happens a lot, which always gets the hackles up of the of the LCS going community is when comic shop proprietors, they don't price their back issues um, that they have, you know, dozens and dozens and dozens of long boxes of, they don't price them. And then when somebody wants to buy them, 
and they bring them up to check out, they look up the most recent selling prices on eBay and then charge them the highest one at the, at the register. register and then charge oh, them man. the highest price that they find on eBay. Mm. Um, so when it comes to pricing, there's a lot of, in the comic book world, sometimes there's some shenanigans. Uh, I always strive to, to have fair market prices. Uh, I use a couple tools out there uh, in comic book land. GP analysis is one of them. GPanalysis.com, gocollect.com is another one. But anyway, they track actual graded sales of uh, sales of graded comic books, not just from eBay, but from other verified uh, e-commerce outlets as well. So you can get, mm -hmm. you know, your most recent sales, you get your 90-day averages, your 12-month averages, your, you know, year-by-year -year averages all the way back to 2012 or, or even before that. Um, so you get this really nice look at just where the market is. And so I always price, obviously, within that, you know, that 90-day or 12-month range, depending on what the volume is. Um, you know, because again, I want people to realize just like you're saying, when they come there and buy something, they feel like that this is a good price or a fair price, right? Especially when you go look on what the same thing might be going for over on eBay. Uh, and, and I think that that strategy has worked much like you said, like Amazon, they lose money on every single Kindle they sell. They lose money on every single Echo they sell. And it's not about, you know, making money off that product. It's about getting them into the Amazon ecosystem. My kids, my God. They've got Echo Dots. They got kids Fire tablets. I mean, you know, they they won my kids over, right? They're going to be the Amazon <laughs> kids. Well, at least until they're Aww. old enough to get an iPhone, and then well, but for now, they're Amazon kids, right? That's my oldest at. is nine, yeah. and she's constantly like, "Can I go on Amazon and shop? Just look with your eyes. No clicking <laughs> buttons. Just look with your eyes." Oh man. <laughs> Taking that credit card off yeah. that account. No, real yeah, quick. we got to change. We got to put passwords on stuff, man. <laughs> That's crazy. Oh man. Oh well, you know what I like too. It because of the fact that everything is online for you, you have an extra extra advantage compared to the LCS. Is because I feel like because of the fact it's a brick and mortar. Um, whether or not they are you know, pricing, making their pricing out of greed or out of the fact that they have more overhead, yeah. they do have just a little bit more of a premium and you know that, but you, you do not. Yeah. So it's even more fair market, in my opinion, just, just because of that, your overhead is so, low, is so low compared to having a brick and mortar. It order. is, but at the same time, so this is, that's, that's a very fair point that you'd make. You'd say, oh, you know what they do? They got to pay the rent. They got to pay the utilities. They've probably got a couple of employees, maybe more that they have to pay. So they do need to maximize the profit per sale. However, my counter to that would be, what would you rather have? A, would you rather have $200 today or $250 four weeks from now? Oh, I'm sometimes impatient. Um, but yeah, I want to say 250. Okay. So you could, uh, yeah, you could, but if, uh, but, mm -hmm. but if you could take that $200 today, reinvest it, you can probably make more than $50 off that 200 than you could just by waiting for that 250. Mm -hmm. So in terms of a mm -hmm. cash flow mindset, that's always been my mindset is like, yes, could I hold out for an extra $15 here, an extra $20 there, an extra $30 there? Yes. But I don't have mm. the luxury of waiting. I need the cash flow coming in because I need to reinvest it to keep the shelves stocked. And I think I would have that same approach, you right. know, when I talk about people ask me, it's like, so what is your goal for a shop? I'm like, well, you know, when I had a dream as a 10 year old kid about owning a comic shop, there was no internet. So I owned a brick and mortar comic shop. That was the dream. I didn't right. dream about right. be like, wouldn't it be cool if on my Commodore 64, I could buy a comic book? No. <laughs> 
it was i so that is that is still the dream is mm-hmm. to have a brick and mortar shop and when i say that people usually say jason you're stupid that's just a losing ball game but i don't know if it's ego probably a little bit and i don't mean that in a bad way but your ego like the thing that's inside your head right tells mm-hmm. you that you can do things and that you're special right tells me that i can do that um because it wouldn't just be the shop it would be the online presence that we've built and the shop and really when i think about what I'm trying to build with the certified comic shop, the online entity um, is really similar to what you would get uh, when you go to a comic con. So typically when you want, when there's that key, you just got to have sure. You might hit the couple shops that are within, you know, 20 half hour drive from you. Maybe you'll go out even a little bit further, just down just, just to see if they got it. Right. Mm-hmm. But if there's really one you want and you want a selection and you don't want to buy it online, you're going to go to the local con. Well, there are no local cons right now. Uh, but at the same right. time, even when there were, it's like I wanted, I want the certified comic shop to have that feel that when there's that key that you want, you just come here and they're going to have it. You don't have to wait six months for the Motor City Comic Con to roll around or six months later for the Great Lakes Comic Con to roll around. Or you don't have to drive to, you know, C2E2 six hours away, you know, uh-huh. and spend a bunch of money <laughs> to go do that. Right. Right. So that's kind right. of the thing. And it's really what I call, I know you guys got one out there in Chicago, but I don't know if you hear of it. You ever hear of Micro Center before? Uh, that sounds familiar. It sounds like a computer. It is place. a computer place. It is a giant, yeah, yeah, yeah. giant computer place. Um, it's like a fries, right? Yes, similar to a fries, absolutely. Uh, Micro Center. Uh, for me, as a computer geek, I was also a computer geek uh, for a while there. Uh, when you needed that part, your choices were ordered online or ordered online. But micro, then Micro Center came around and you could go and buy these obscure computer parts, 30,000 different SKUs, man, where you could buy that one, one unique stick of RAM you needed or that CPU or that motherboard, things you couldn't get at Best Buy, things you couldn't get anywhere else. You would go to Micro Center and you would get it today. You didn't have to wait you know, for Tiger Direct to finally ship it over to your place. And so really, I just want mm-hmm. that kind of feel for the brick and mortar shop to be it's like, you know what, I want to, you know, some crazy key. I want a Hulk 181 certified comic shop. Come on over. We've got it. Um, so the original plan was after five years was to have a brick and mortar comic book shop. That's a lot closer. Five years ago, that sounded like a long time. <laughs> We're a year plus away from that. And honestly, I don't know if that's realistic or not. Um, not mm-hmm. trying to, you know, to, you know, pursue my own goals, but you know, it's still a goal. It's still something I want to do. It's still something I think I can do and really have the best of both worlds, you know, five years of a, of a legitimate online presence that's been churning and generating income, then combine that with a physical location that people can walk into and buy stuff daily. I think that marry those two together and that's where it all, that's where it all comes together. I mean, that's what, that's what Amazon is trying to do right now with those walk-in mm-hmm. shops. So I think you still have something there. Maybe five years is too soon, you know, but I mean, life works on a pendulum. So once COVID is, you know, hopefully over, once we get to that point where we can go back to, you know, that normal that we had, I mean, it's going to swing the other way. People are going to want to go out. They're going to want to see physical locations. I mean, um, I, I, I'm pretty sure people will will really enjoy like the Comic-Con experience because that is always fun. And I remember you saying one time online that you 
you didn't just want the traditional LCS feel. And I think the Comic-Con feel is just a whole lot different. It's, it's social in a different kind of way. I mean, shoot, you might even have people just cosplaying in the shop. Who knows? I mean, that'll just be fun yeah. because then people are taking pictures and looking at comics and having fun. But um, yeah, I really like how you want to make it different because people do love experiences. And right now it's hard to get that experience, but when the time is right for you and, and, and wherever we are economically at that point in time, I think, I think. It yeah, could. I think so too. I believe. And, and really my goal with that is, is I just want a shop to be, you know, you know, comic shops can be uh, sometimes uh, maybe not be the most welcoming place in the world. Even if you are a, an avid collector, I've walked into plenty of shops where it's like, one look, nope, don't recognize you. And it's just like either either A, they're just staring at you uncomfortably <laughs> or B, they're ignoring you. <laughs> and you know right, me, I'm a chatty right. sort. So I'm just going to, I'm just going to like start talking. And that sometimes like my personality to like a more uh, introverted person inside the comic shop mm -hmm. can be a little off-putting. So that's always fun. <laughs> but no, I'm a welcoming space because look, I mean, not to get again existential crises here but you know the print comic book i i'm not going to sit here and tell you it's a dying medium i don't think it is but you can't ignore what dc comics just did to like or well, sorry what at&t did the to their property of dc comics they totally gutted it and neutered it and you know allegedly the whole comic book side of the at&t ginormous mega corporation makes up less than one percent of their total revenue so it's not like wow. this this big thing for them right and so they totally gutted uh -huh. it um you know and obviously digital uh it has been here for a while now uh and mm -hmm. then just you know my my own kids for crying out loud looking at kids today you know they're just not picking up as much yeah. as i jam comic books in their hand they're just not as interesting as their tablet is um so i do want to have the shop that's opening welcome and inviting so that when a person walks in who might be just like trying to their kid wanted a comic book right and their parent comes in and if you know you walk into the wrong shop and you don't get the help you need right then that kid doesn't get that comic book right right maybe or maybe that's just my dark dystopian version of what might happen <laughs> um, so my, it's like, right. so I want to really have like the best of both worlds. Now I'm going to give away, I'm going to give away an idea. So, so nobody steal it. But if you, I guess if you do more power to you. So I really want to have like this really bright, <laughs> well lit, come on in, sit down, have a cup of coffee, talk about comics, help you find, you know, this really, once again, high touch white glove kind of experience. But I also want to have, because now here's, here's the irony is, is that experience would turn off a lot of comic collectors. They like mm -hmm. the the looser, the dingier, the just kind of, you know, dirty, dirty shelves, yeah, dusty. just, you know, they yeah. like that. So I want to actually have, uh, within the comic shop, I want to have a reverse escape room. Huh. So it's a room, it's clues you have to find. And once you find them and you find the door that lets you into the other part of the shop, which is the dirtier, more casual, all the cool shit <laughs> is like in uh -huh. there and that's where you just hang out and talk comics and nerd out and do those things whereas the front side of the store is just like you know it's almost like this weird um you know it's like this weird front yeah come on in, everything's great and then back here is where all the craziness happens it's like all the secret yeah so the secret place so the way, the way my <laughs> mind works with this escape this reverse 
escape room is, is that I don't even tell anyone is it exists. I just put the clues out in the shop and wait for however long oh, it takes so much fun. for somebody to be like, hey, I wonder if this is a clue to something. <laughs> and then they <laughs> start looking and I then should... they find their way to wherever this thing is and they open, they've managed to open up the secret, you know, door to the danger room and ta-da, you mm-hmm. know, this room has been untouched by human hands for three years because I never told anyone to look for it. That's just kind of like this little <laughs> happy dream I have that I really want to make a thing. Mm, that would be really <laughs> cool. That I, 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 I vote for it. So well, let me you. know when, when it's there. Just don't tell anybody. So. <laughs> I'll try not to. I'll try not. We won't, we won't say anything here. Edited, edited out. But uh, you do make a really interesting comment about your kids and them not really picking up comic books. Um, obviously that's an anecdotal experience, but have you seen kids in general or do you think that maybe comic books aren't doing a good enough job or if there's anything that they can do to kind of keep kids into the hobby yeah you know marvel i'm just well there's a lot of things there oh boy my mind just went like 18 different places at once so (laughs) so the original remember the original idea for when marvel started selling their properties to be made into movies this is before marvel studios this is before they were owned by disney so back when, you know, in 2000, when Fox was making X-Men and 2003 or whatever it was when Sony was making Spider-Man movies, right? Mm-hmm. The idea was, is we get these big motion picture companies to make major, major motion pictures of our characters, and that will then drive the comic book business. So Marvel was close to going bankrupt. So A, they were getting money from licensing out these properties, but B, they also thought this would be like the savior of their print business. Well, it turns out people love the movies. Uh, even back then, yeah. I remember in 2000 going to see that first X-Men movie. I was like, oh my God, this is it was so much fun. everything that Loved I ever it. imagined. Same thing with that first Spider-Man movie with Tobey Maguire. Oh my God, it's so much amazing. Um, you know, Ghost Rider, Dick Cage, not so much. But <laughs> yeah, I didn't see it, you but don't. I'm sure it was great. No, 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 no. You're, we're going to watch it together right now. <laughs> watch along, everybody, Ghost Rider. Um, no. Oh, uh, and and it never it didn't really move the needle for the comic book. Mm-hmm. And then you know, fast forward to two thousand eight and Iron Man, and this, that, and the other, and we get the MCU, and we get you know these twenty some movies of of awesomeness. Again, not moving the needle in terms of now. Right. That's not to say that with chill with kids that they're not becoming attached to these characters because they are. They're just not looking to right. reconnect with those characters necessarily in print comic books. It's like my kids, for example, um, who do they really like? Well, Baby Yoda, but that's not a superhero. <laughs> I got my four-year-olds obsessed with Baby Yoda. Ah, they have a Funko Pop for, for Baby They've Yoda? They've got everything for Baby Yoda now. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, so who was, who, what were we just watching? I can't even remember. Anyway, so my, my nine-year-old is more apt, more likely to see that character and then be like, is there like a video game? That I can get on my tablet <laughs> that has this character in it. Is there an app? Right. Can exactly. I do that? So that's the natural <laughs> next step. It's like now there's mm-hmm. this thing that I can read with my eyes and have to think about. But is there this thing? Mm-hmm. So I know that's again anecdotal and that's very like narrowed down into just my family. But I have to imagine that that's a pretty normal, um, you know, thing to do. So you know, with so superheroes more popular than ever. But the media itself, the print media is no. And so where, where I really see it going to just try to circle back to answer your question is, uh, it's almost, I, there, to me, it feels like 
comic books are almost on the level that action figures are at now. Now, do you follow the action figure biz side of things too much at all? <laughs> no, it's no, fine. You don't need to, because I'll tell you, <laughs> it's really they're pandering to collectors There's now. Not much. It's yeah. not about That's Jason as a ten-year-old kid and discovering GI Joes. Mm. Discovering GI Joes. I just had Storm Shadow line on the desk here in 1983, mm -hmm. right? Uh, mm -hmm. That's not the actual 1983 Storm Shadow. This is the 25th anniversary edition. Didn't want to make anyone think that I was saying I had a 1983 Men on Card Reprint. Storm Shadow. So no. <laughs> um, so yes, they are. It's all about the collector now. The price points on these things are insane. You know, again, 1983 Jason isn't walking into uh, Target today to to pay twenty dollars for a, a Star Wars Black Series figure. He just didn't have that kind of cash. Uh, or did mm, his mom. Yeah. Uh, so these things are clearly. Uh, and they're being bought that way. It's like, you know, G.I. Joe just uh, launched, a new, or Hasbro just launched a new G.I. Joe classified line, which is a six-inch uh, six line of the uh, of the 83 lineup. So similar to the Star Wars Black Series in, in terms of scale and detail. Uh, $20 price point. And I'm in a few G.I. Joe groups on Facebook, and it's just the people who are going and, and clearing them out. Like the one guy who shows up uh, at the right time, just, just buying them all. Everything. And Hasbro doesn't care because they charged Walmart and Target and everything else and Target and Walmart don't care because they just sold a bunch of shit. They just made their you money. Know? I was about to ask who made those um those action figures and my first thought was going to be Hasbro's and it I'm not surprised because they do some interesting things with magic. Yeah. So anyways, um Papa Hasbro. Yeah. They I think they're a publicly traded oh, sure company at this point. So they they operate on the quarterly yeah. basis. So which Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they just, you know, it's all, you know, it's, you know, just gets all ran by algorithms these days. Uh, it's not about having the, the, the shelves stocked because I've been to numerous targets and Walmarts just wanting to buy one of these guy jokes. I can't find one mm -hmm. anywhere because they keep getting cleared out. And again, they're not stocking. They're not like, here's all these things that there are. You just come by and buy one whenever you like. It's like, if you're not there at the right time. And then just the stories are crazy. I mean, this even goes back my wife. Uh, before we were married, she used to work at, uh, at Toys R Us, and the collect the toy collectors would come in there for like the McFarlane, um, like the the baseball figures and their uh, football guys. Todd McFarlane has mm -hmm. these great action figure lines, right? And they could be like very belligerent. It's like, hey, go, you know, hey, you go back and <laughs> check right now, and you find me more of these, you know. You just like, there's some in the back. You yeah, find this, me, and that's like back in 2006, 2007. So this is nothing new. Nothing new, uh -huh. but at the same time, comics I feel are heading that way. There's so many different variants that come out uh, for each issue, each and every week. There's these store exclusives now, which I uh, got hooked on for a while, uh, based on kind of like this idea that okay, here's a store exclusive. This online shop, you know, has this cover from this hot artist. It's beautiful, and there's only 1,500 of them printed, mm -hmm. so it's got this like built-in rarity to it. And then, you know, you get that, you grade it, and oh my God, you're going to be rich, and it's going to be so much, you know, you're just going to count your money. That's, you know, mm -hmm. that's all you need to do right. is just count it. Um, again, lots of people think that way. And, and two, it's like when there's new variants each and every week. I was about to say, <laughs> there's like 20 variants. The one that everyone was just like totally dying, fighting over to have two weeks ago, they've forgotten about because there's the new one, the new Clay Clayton right. Crane cover that everybody has to have or the new art gym cover that everybody has to have. Um, and so, yeah, it just, there's no, there's, since there's no pause, the market never has time to like 
to mature for these things. So it's just like, boom, you get it. It's a flash in the pan and then everyone's on to the next one. Uh, and so that when I talk about comics are really like being more driven for the collectors now, you know, there's a large part of the audience that is in it for the quote unquote financial aspect of it or the investment aspect of it versus uh, the reading aspect of it. And that's not to say those two things are mutually exclusive. Um, when I have time, I love to read comics, but I also love to collect them as well. And so there are plenty mm -hmm. of people who do both, but there are also plenty of people who, who like would never grade a comic. They think that's sacrilege, right? They call it a comic, yeah, comic coffin. I, I've met right? Oh my people. God, you couldn't mm -hmm. read it. And then there's people who's like, I've never read a comic in my life, but I've made a lot of money off of them, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. Extremes. Yeah. But I think a lot of, most of us are probably right there in the middle. We do both. We read, we collect, yeah. we make a few bucks, we start a business on it, whatever. And then you continue on, and then you continue on with yeah, your Yeah, and it really helps support I, my LaCroix budget, um, <laughs> my LaCroix habit. <laughs> it's like my fourth one today. Oh. Is that, you know, there's nothing, well, I said this to somebody the other day, I was in a meeting for the, the day job with a different company, so not no one from, from my team. No one I've even never met before. <laughs> and this is Jason in, in when he's when he's locked in his office. And I'm taking a drink. It was a grapefruit LaCroix. And everyone just kind of popped up at once. I'm like, you know, somebody asked how's it going. I'm like, you know, I'm doing better now that I've had a drink of grapefruit LaCroix. And I just stopped instead. I'm like, could I say anything more middle-aged right now than that? Life is good now that I've had some grapefruit LaCroix. You know, no judgment here. I, I like the basic flavor. This isn't LaCroix, but the basic flavor, like no flavor, water flavor. Um, I yes. don't know. I, I'm, I'm, I'm no. water flavor water. <laughs> I thought but you were saying I'm basic flavor. I like love the basic, carbonation. I thought you were talking, making that like a basic cigarettes re uh, reference. Like, do you remember basic cigarettes? The no, the no name brand cigarettes, they're called basics. Oh, uh, no, no, you probably weren't a but... smoker either. So you wouldn't know that. <laughs> but I haven't smoked a cigarette in 20 years, no. people, but I still know they exist. I just pictured like an off-brand yes. cigarette, I guess. Yes, that's essentially what, that's what you're drinking. You're drinking Aww. an off-brand cigarette right now, Jessica. No, the that's pure, so like the, the LaCroix version, pure. Yes, love it. The no uh -huh. flavor, yes, it's mm -hmm. so good. So good. Wow, we so just good. totally went into a weird place there. I'm sorry for anyone no, watching or it is, to this. It's, no, it is all good. And, you know, I'm really glad that you brought up like the variants, the crazy overprinting. It kind of reminds me of a little bit of the 90s, even though I was still a child to like really fully grasp and understand. But I have such, I have so many baseball cards that are just worth about as much as, you know, a tile of toilet yep. paper. Um, but, and, and at first when I started getting into collecting the comic books, I'm like, ooh, I, I like to set goals, right? I, I like to, challenges and so i'm like oh maybe i should get all the variants for something but you're spending a fortune getting all the variants and not all of them are great right and and, and after a while you're just you're so inundated with variants you like at first i thought that the variants were the thing that were you know always short print there was always few variant like varieties in general i mean i remember when stranger things mm. came out i tried to get all the variants and i think i have four of them for the first issue and i'm sure there's actually more of them than that um but then i literally stopped at the first issue because i'm like i can't continue on buying five six or seven versions of just one comic so i don't know i i thought it was i thought it was pretty crazy and i mean 
you know, let me know uh, what you think about what's going on right now with the market just because of the printing back in the 90s. And and I, I remember you, and just to add to that, I remember you telling me that the modern um, modern comics are always a little bit more volatile. Like if you're trying to invest, they're a little bit more volatile. And I think it goes back to the crazy printing, the ton of variants, the market not being able to digest and absorb and understand like what there is and then moving on to the next. Like there's just so many things. They're just so many things going on there. Yeah, there's a lot going on. And sometimes I think we are like reliving the 90s uh, boom and bust, except I don't think it's that much of a boom. Um, mm-hmm. But like the 90s, the 90s made a lot of sense to me in terms of what happened, how it happened and why it happened. You know, for me at that point in time, 1991, freshman in college, um, just so happened one of the first people I met the day I moved into college, uh, guys whose name was Ralph, Ralph was an artist and a comic book guy. And we struck up a quick friendship over comic books, even though I hadn't collected them in a few years, uh, as I mentioned. And then he was just like, one day he's like, hey, it's a new comic book day. You want to go to the comic shop with me? It's just like, okay, yeah, why not? And before I know it, <laughs> here I am, back on back on the juice again, shelling out <laughs> my food money <laughs> to oh, buy a stack man. of comics. And I, I got know. hooked and I got hooked hard. Mm-hmm. Um, it's funny, on my Instagram, I just posted... Um, it's show off Sunday uh, on Instagram for comic book land. A lot of people have been posting like their, their silver age keys. And just for a joke, I posted uh, X-Force number one and Dark Image number one and Turok number one and uh, Robin to number one, the collector's set. Anyway, like just for the most 90s comics you could have, like, yeah, yeah, I'm seeing some pretty cool comics out there. First appearance, Black Panther's okay, but check this out. Uh-huh. <laughs> X-Force number one, still the poly seal back. Anyway, follow me on Instagram at Certified Comic Shop. Anyway, so <laughs> I got sucked into the variants. Um, and it made sense in retrospect, and here's why. So uh, 1961 is essentially the birth of you know Marvel Comics with Fantastic Four number one. Uh, Spider, even though there were you know other things, but what we call the modern modern Marvel universe, right? 1963, we get Amazing Spider-Man, we get Avengers. Uh, we get all these classic titles. So now 1963. Now I was born in 1973. So that's only 10 years before. And so when I get to like college and it's 1991, 1963 doesn't seem that long ago, right? It really Mm -hmm. doesn't seem that long ago, even though it was close to 30 years, it's just still felt attainable. Cause I like as a 10 year old, I was collecting comic books in 1983. 1963 isn't that far back. so then when you have a comic shop owner whispering in your ear, when you bring up whatever that issue was, oh, you're only going to buy one of those? Well, oh, oh should, should I get two? Like one to read and <laughs> one to read and one to keep? It's like, yeah, I mean, sure. But like, if you were going to buy Avengers number one, you can go back in time and buy the first Avengers, this comic book that uh-huh. was worth at that time, you know, $30,000. Would you just buy one? Well, no, man. I'd buy as many as I could. Well, damn right you'd buy as many as you could. Now go back out there and get as many as you can. That was literally mm-hmm. the comic shop owner, right? He no. was positioning these new number ones, these books from Image, these books from Valiant, right? These other, mm-hmm. these other comic, the new Spider-Man by Todd McFarlane um, from Marvel. They were being like, hey, if you could go back and buy X-Men number one, you would buy as many as you could. So that's what we did. 
And it wasn't just me uh-huh. and the people went to my comic shop. It was everybody all across there. Because again, we were thinking that like a, a book like, you know, Hulk 181, which came out in 1975. I was two years old when that came out. Again, that seems like it was a very attainable book. And obviously today, if you had a stack of Hulk 181s, you would be rich. So that was kind of the thing that happened in the 90s. So we all started doing that. And so that's kind of why it feels like we're back at this today. This is why it feels cyclical, because now we're in 2020, and the 90s were 30 years ago. Just like in the 90s, the 60s were 30 years ago. So I feel like right. we're at that same kind of time period um, with in terms of like the variance and the hype. And we're also seeing a lot of the same characters or versions of the same characters that were all hype in the 90s. Like in the 90s, as far as Marvel goes, it was Spider-Man, Hulk, Wolverine, <clears throat> and Ghost Rider. Like those were the four. Those were the four titles that were selling a ton of. Uh, did I say X-Men? X-Men also. But the besides the X-Men, those four that they were selling a ton of. And you could always, it would always be like this kind of a joke when like a new title like Dark Hawk or Death's Head or whatever it was that came out when you would see now also featuring Ghost Rider or teaming up with Wolverine, like on issue five, you knew that was clearly just to drive some those sales because no one gave a crap about those characters. They're like, hey, we got to get Wolverine Aww. in this book bound issue six because nobody's buying it. Um, and so you start to see those same kind of core characters uh, like kind of uh, merge and do something a little different. So you got like, you know, starting like two years ago, you had like Weapon H. What happens if you take the Hulk? and you take Wolverine, and you smash them together, and you get Web of H, right? And then, oh, Cosmic Ghost Rider. Oh, and now we've got, you know, and now we're getting Venom pumped up again. Uh, so uh-huh. it's like we're taking these same characters that were big in the 90s and just putting a little different spin on them, and now we're putting them in all the books. Um, so, yeah, so just that, like, that 30-year period. And then with all the variants, again, which we already talked about, uh, there's just every week it's just a slew. I mean, my God, it, it's and there's just so many it's just right. like, I mean, so many. like when that Star Wars number one came out in 2015, that was five years ago still, and 105 different variants. I've actually, I'm working with a client right now who's, who is oh. trying to collect 9.8s of all of them, and I'm helping them uh, obtain them. Um, you said 105 yeah, variants? at least. There's probably more. It was over 100. So yeah, I've got... I mean, I knew it was bad, but <laughs> I just didn't realize the zero. <laughs> not did not realize that and so I just listened to it might have been your most recent podcast where you talked where you talked about your story about selling that first print edition with all the signatures on it I was like no oh my gosh I would have loved to buy that oh just because like I think I don't know getting getting like a Carrie Fisher Uh, autograph oh I still have that I didn't sell that that was somebody tried to buy that so it so you ended up getting it back. Oh, for, I never shipped oh, well, it. I, guess, I canceled the order. So you never yeah, shipped I would, it. Yeah, it ended up being. Go listen to episode fifteen of Certified Comic Talk. Look it up on iTunes, and you can hear the whole story. And it's way too wordy entirety. Um, first, <laughs> I've got a yes. I have a comic book, Star Wars number one from two thousand fifteen, the Heroes Haven variant, which is a giant size X Men number one cover homage, and it's signed by seven people, including Carrie Fisher, uh, David Prowse, uh, Jeremy Bullock, Boba Fett. Uh, Darth Vader. Mm-hmm. What's his name? Oh, no, David Prowse, Darth Vader. Chewbacca. Uh, CPO, C-3PO? Anyway, four Star Wars people. Was it? Plus three comic artists. Anyway, it's an amazing book. And you're right. Carrie Fisher mm-hmm. uh, signatures, obviously, sadly. You're just not yeah. going to have some um, signature. 
I just recently, I just recently came across uh, the tops. Um, I don't know if you've seen these. I saw you post I, that on I, Instagram. I realized these existed. I did. I realized that these existed. I had no idea these existed. Literally, these are just cards of pictures from the film. Yes, <laughs> and are those the '80s, the actual '80s, or are those reprints from a later year? 1977. Yes, that originals. Yes. Originals. And so, and so, any of these cards with Carrie Fisher's hand, uh, signature um, is going for. Crazy yeah. amounts um, in the thousands, yeah. uh, depending on what you get, like the sealed original booster boxes or, well, I guess I don't know what else to call it other than booster boxes, but those, those boxes are going for like 800 and something um, on nice. eBay, which, which I saw cause I, I, I love to buy it. <laughs> but, um... <laughs> well, I will tell you, I had those, I had that very card as a kid. Did yeah. you, do you still no. have them? What oh, like all of my things. I've got rid of them or my my mom did for me. No. Oh yeah, I had all the Star Wars cards. Oh my god, I love collecting those mm. and all the toys and all this and all that. And... Mm. Yeah. Not anymore. I... Yeah. Yeah, I, I understand lugging that around from every place that you move. Like to each to each new place is stuff. Moving is tough, yes. so and we, having a lot of baggage with. And our generation, <laughs> your generation, we do it a lot more than our our parents' generation did. It's like constant, constantly mm. on the move. Feels like feel like I've been moving my whole life, and not for like terrible reasons. Just you, just move. You got you got you places just, to you go. Just go somewhere else. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No. Nothing. Nothing wrong with that. But um, yeah, I haven't read any of those. So what's funny about me, and I think like how we talked about that spectrum, uh, and what you said is true. Being in the middle, I have not really read that many comic books, but I have over a hundred and fifty nice. comic books because a, I love collecting yeah. shit, and 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 b, there are just some that I genuinely want, and most of the reason why I haven't read as many as I want to in my collection is because like if I've got a series going I don't want to start it and then wait however many months because I'm waiting for it to show up in someone's back issues uh you know to find it and then be able to read it like um so whenever I go to some of the local comic shops I I always go first to look at the sets that are complete because they'll have some complete sets you can get them for 10 to 30 bucks however much you know so like I've picked up um a few halo complete sets because I I love halo I played I grew up playing it as a kid I've never I prefer reading comic books than reading the books themselves like like the extended universe of star wars I've never read a single extended universe but I've read a few comics and like like the like the lost tribe of the sith I, this goes like way super yeah. way back yeah yeah um and collecting like all the republic uh you know comics and like the knights of the old republic comics and and just you know uh Kanan, the Padawan, I can't remember if that's the exact yeah. title, but you know, um, just all that cool old stuff. I'd rather read comics and enjoy those than read a book because there's less words. And I know that sounds really that's silly so and uneducated. Lazy. <laughs> just kidding. I know it's so lazy. And then what to add to that is I actually I I, I listen to yeah, books. Oh geez. Oh I, God. Even, I have the audio. Okay, wait, here's the here's the question. <laughs> I have an audible. <laughs> here's the question. I, I are you familiar with Goodreads? Okay, yeah. so when you listen yeah. to an audiobook, do you tell Goodreads that you read it? So I don't update okay. that, but honestly, I would. Like, if I did, I would because because I'm still taking in information. I actually don't 
the only fiction books I've listened to is Game of Thrones. And that is hard to follow even when you're yeah. reading it. So so you got to like listen to it a few times. But I still say like, I mean, I understand the plot. I know all the little minor characters. I know what's going on. I know what the TV show missed. And I don't even want to go there. But, you know, I would still consider it. No, right. no, you're wrong. <laughs> No, this is no. This goes yeah. back. It, it, my my sister in law, and I'm gonna tell. I'm gonna share this because there's no way she's ever gonna hear this unless I tell her to go listen to it. So yes, she, her, and my wife um, are very competitive readers in terms of who reads the most books. Now, my wife oh, has four kids, lovely, and she has mm -hmm. you know stay at home mom, and she has her own uh, uh, Etsy shop quilt shop Cricky's quilts on etsy i'm just full of self plugs today uh, she makes awesome quilts and other things anyway uh her sister not uh, married no kids doesn't plan on having any has all the time in the world mm -hmm. but they're very competitive on who reads the most books and so and so that. my sister-in-law <laughs> it's like oh i hit my goal of 135 books read this year and it's my wife's like i read 25 and i thought i did really good i'm like no 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 no, no. ask her how many she read and how many she listened to. <laughs> hmm. It's like, so, so how many, okay, okay. How many did you actually read of those 135? Seven. Oh. <laughs> no, you did not read 135 books. You read seven books and listened to right. 128. Doesn't count. <laughs> right, right, right. No, I, I, I agree with that. Um, I think the metrics there are skewed. <laughs> For sure. Sure, some skewage. So I think 25 books, even still, you know, being a full time mom and having her own, you know, side hustle. Like, I love that. Um, hey, much respect for the I haven't 25 read, books. I haven't read 25 so. books in, oh my God, I have so little time to read. <laughs> it also doesn't help the second I start reading anything. I'm like, I, I'm, believe it or not, this is just getting into weird territory here, but we're just conversing now. It's like I have, um, I have mild narcolepsy. Uh, officially oh. diagnosed and not not the tv mm -hmm. kind not the sitcom kind <laughs> where you just where you're just sitting where on you're the just couch like, hey, and like, <laughs> where jason's in a meeting oh. and for where it's just like <laughs> with the ceo no no no, no. Right. It's, it's brought on by uh brain inactivity so if i watch sit down and watch tv if i read a book sadly if i pick up a comic book i am asleep within a minute it's just the brain mm, just okay. is like and off I go. So it's really actually kind of a bummer. Um, my wife is jealous of me many times, especially when we have babies that aren't sleeping, uh, where I can just be like, I'm out. Um, but yeah, no, it's like, I really want to read a comic. Like today's the perfect day. It's rainy, it's cold, it's gloomy. Kids are entertaining themselves. Mm -hmm. Let's just plop down the chair and read a comic. I will just be asleep within a minute. And it's a, it's a big bummer. So I, I'm always Aww. jealous and bitter of people who actually can, can read. Not because I don't know how to read again. I do. It's just Educated. my brain makes me He's go night, it. night. Oh, man. Oh, man. So, um, well, I mean, have you read anything? Like, have you have you been able to kind of like take a second and, and read something? So like I that? rely a lot on other people reading for me. So here's the thing, too. So one of the, you know, I had to make this transition. Now we're circling back to what we were ostensibly gathered to talk about today. I, I, I made a conscious decision to go from comic book collector to comic book seller. Um, I mm -hmm. could not um, justify keeping any comic book that I could sell to make money on to drive this business forward. I couldn't be like, well, I'll sell any of these, but these I'm keeping. 
Because if I'm not willing to commit 100%, then I'm not willing to commit. Um, at the same right. time, I'm, I need to spend all the money that I'm taking in on things to drive the shop forward. Um, so I didn't feel like it would be right to buy new comics on a regular basis. That felt kind of counterintuitive. Mm-hmm. Now, I did, I, I know Jason, I've been with, living with this guy for a long time now, and I knew that I also wouldn't necessarily be able to cut myself off entirely, that I had to, I had to give myself something, some challenge, just like how you were saying you like to collect things. Obviously, uh-huh. I like to collect things too. And like, I gotta set myself some kind of goal, just to give myself mm-hmm. something to do that I can just kind of like add to every once in a while. So when I do have a few extra dollars where I'm like, I can spend money on something, I tend to spend it on one of those couple things that I am actively trying to build a collection on as opposed to reading new Uh stuff. Uh, For a while there, I did have a a Marvel Unlimited subscription so I could read uh, all those comics online. I have a DC Universe subscription uh, so I could read all those comics online. And then I was a comicsology. And so they're really easy, you know, if I feel like I want to get something new, I can do that. But I rely on other people reading comic books and then talking about them for me to keep up with what's happening, uh, which is really a great way to do it because it doesn't cost you anything and you get to support other content creators. So like the iFanboy podcast, mm-hmm. they've been around. They were like an OG podcast from way back in the day before everyone like us had their own podcasts. Um, <laughs> so they do a weekly review show. They've done, God, got to be close to 800 episodes now. Um you know, just mm-hmm. every week, weekly comic releases. There's two hosts, sometimes three. They each read their stack of books and then they talk about them, what they liked, what they didn't like, those kind of things. Uh, comic Tom That's really uh, is another guy uh, I've known for quite a while. Uh, met him over on Instagram. And he's built like this huge, huge uh, business and YouTube following and whatnot. Talk about a lot of stuff there. So yeah, I just like to support other people and, you know, read a couple, read a page when I can. <laughs> Oh, man. Oh, man. I I totally get that. And I didn't know that this world existed until maybe like eight months ago. But there are some people with certain maybe like cult following comics, um, or like maybe comic strips, strips, even um, where uh, people that are just doing voiceover, like normal people just kind of doing voiceover of the comics, which I thought was kind of cool and interactive. I've seen it for like, um, God, I think it might have been Legend of Korra. She's not really a comic. Well, I think she does have the comics. I have the, uh, crap, I have the graphic novels. I don't know if you watch Legend of Korra or cartoons. I've heard of it. It's a thing that there is. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Well, I mean, I figure since you have kids, you maybe you've seen Avatar or no, no, no. but no, you know. I've seen Blippy. <laughs> you know who Blippy is? No. Yeah. Yeah. Go to YouTube and, and look up Blippy. B-L-I-P-P-I kids. Mm. And you know, now that I think about it, nine is probably still a little too young for Avatar or Legend of Korra. Yeah. I think I started watching uh Avatar when I was like in my Here teens. You go. So, yeah, that that probably makes a little <laughs> bit more sense. Um, but what's funny now is is like there are certain comic books that I'm like, ooh, I want to read that. But then because I want to read it, I also want to yeah. collect it. So my middle ground is okay. Let me try to find the comic to collect and like enjoy and look at, but then also actually enjoy the reading of it. So um the last Ronin that just came out oh, last yeah. Wednesday, yeah. this past Wednesday, I didn't get a copy because they were sold out 
Um, so I'm going to try to get issue number two on Wednesday and maybe listen to someone's commentary or try to find something on eBay for yeah. issue one, but, but do something like that where I, you know, cause, cause even myself, if I want to keep something super pristine, I don't even want to yeah. read it. I don't even want to touch it. And I mean, you know, I'm sure like a lot of people can, can agree and understand with that. You don't want to put any nicks into it. You don't want no creases or anything like that. So it would honestly scare me. Yeah. Well, remember, hey, <laughs> I got my one issue. to read, one to keep. You know, you got to have one, one to read, read one, one to keep. keep. Uh, and Last Ronin, that's another one that had like 40 some odd different variants. Uh, the first issue that wow. did, another huge one. So here's my pro tip. Uh, and it requires a skill that, that, that not a lot of people possess, but I think you might mm -hmm. have it. And that's called patience. Um, a lot of times when we have these like hot issues, last round of number one is a big issue, right? All these different variants, a lot of people mm -hmm. talking about this, then the other, then the, the FOMO kicks in, right? That's what drives 100%. them. That's what drives the market. Just if you can wait three months, the worst thing that's going to happen is that you, you're paying the same price that you would have three months earlier, maybe a little bit more, but more than likely you'll be paying less, right? Really? Yeah. Because okay. well, again, because of this, of this weekly cycle where there's always something hot, something new, something that you got to have three months from now, people aren't going to be talking about row number one, unless it's truly a key issue. And see, that's what happens a lot is, I was going to ask is we get, and yeah. I haven't read it and I don't know. And I'm not sure of the continuity. I just know it's about the last, the last turtle, um, the last Ninja Turtle. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah if it ends up being an actual key issue where there's a huge first appearance or a huge, you know, event happens or this thing that there is that makes it then collectible from here until eternity, then yeah, you're not going to get it cheaper. But if it's just a cool variant or a cool comic or a cool idea, it's more than likely going to cool off at some point in time, even a little bit, even if it does, you know, maintain some of its value. Um, but I've seen just a ton of, ton of cases where you just wait two weeks, dude. And you can you can buy it for a <laughs> few bucks chill. less now you know it's just, it's just the way it is patience mm -hmm. is huge in yeah. any kind of collecting game you know uh, is it i i find myself having my you know remind myself for that too it's like because a lot of times for my inventory it's like i'm looking to acquire you know raw inventory to turn into graded inventory to maximize you know an roi on that and it's like, there's some books, like, especially if I got people asking me for it, Hey, do you got one of these? Do you got one of these? It's really <laughs> tempting to like overpay for a high grade raw copy, uh, knowing that I can probably turn it into a 9.8 graded copy and still make some money and still fulfill my mission of helping comic book collectors collect the comics they love. Um, you know, and those kinds, of, it's, you know, you have to be a little more strategic, but in terms of just collecting, you know, we don't need to have it today. Hmm. Give it a shot next week. Right. And that I'm really glad you brought that strategy, like that strategy of buying raw comics that you think is a good enough quality to, to grade a certain kind of way when you send it out. Um, because that was something that I was going to kind of ask, you know, as far as you, obviously a ton of your business is consignment, but then, but then you also said that you don't really collect nowadays. There isn't, there isn't anything that you really collect to keep. Um, you know, to build any strong positions on or anything like that. So I was just kind of curious, well, where's the arbitrage for you? Because everything you sell is graded, which, you know, I think definitely 
grading or um, I'm sorry, um, at least consignment for graded products is a better way to go. Selling graded products is a better way to go. Cause that's like what you said before. It's a solid price point versus someone saying, Hey, you didn't take a picture of this crease in the back. So a hundred dollar discount. Thank you. <laughs> you know, whatever someone might say in that situation, but, but I'm really glad you brought that up. So the arbitrage for you to keep the lights on for your comic shop is to buy raw and then get yep. graded or you know or a lot of times I've, I've managed to pick up some graded collections too um you know again it's what it's one of the un, unintended consequences or unanticipated consequences of this business and then again just building connections with other comic collectors online is that mm -hmm. i've had people approach me and say hey i'm looking to get rid of to sell these these graded comic books i know this is your thing we've known each other for a while just wanted to offer them your way first and it's like sure how much do you want for, you know, and we put together and it's like, because right. we have that relationship and they understand, and then, then they almost feel like they're a part of the shop because they're like, you know, I could probably sell these for this much on my own, but I, you know, if they're going to you, I'll give them to you for this much and I can get a really great price on, on collections. So I, I've managed yeah, to acquire really nice. a bunch of, uh, you know, already graded collections just from, from colleagues and whatnot. And that's another part of the biz too, that I wasn't anticipating is how I'd get, the daily emails and DMs from collectors and novices and whatnot, either trying to figure out what they have or understanding that they have something mm -hmm. and then looking to sell it. Um, mm -hmm. I never made like a dedicated sell me your comics page that you'll find on just about any other comic book shops website. Like we buy comics, we pay top dollar, we pay this, this, that, or the other. Don't have one of those on my website. Um, I still get it. Emails and direct messages. <laughs> Apparently, you every don't need single to. <laughs> day, and people like, "Hey, will you? You know, do you? Are you interested in these?" So yeah, I managed to get a lot of great mm -hmm. comics that way. Uh, but yeah, for the most part, too, is like finding raw collections that have some keys in it. Or you know, one of my favorite things to do is to go on Instagram and share to my story like a screenshot. It's, it sounds like a real DB kind of move, but it's really not. Mm -hmm. But it's like take a screenshot of your PayPal balance and be like, "Here's what's in the account. Sell me some stuff." You know, and All then right. people, this is my yeah, budget. <laughs> people will just start sending you stuff. They have to say. It's a great way to like, A, get some cool stuff and B, you know, hook up a fellow comic you know, who's, who's dealing just in raw keys or whatever it is. So there's all kinds of different that ways is awesome. to get stuff. You know, and I really like how you said comicpreneur because you were the first person that I've heard use that term uh, to, to me you've coined it so if you actually have like awesome you know <laughs> in in my world <laughs> in your, in that, then that's all that matters to me in your world in my world that's i you know i thought i did too so comicpreneur mm -hmm. is just what i started calling myself and calling other people like me we are entrepreneurs trying to find their way through this comic you know in, in the comic book biz to, to do something they mm -hmm. love in this case, it's comic books, so we're comicpreneurs. It's got the same kind of cadence as entrepreneur. A couple syllables, same kind of, you know, alliteration and whatnot. Sounds good. So I'm like, I am so good. I just invented this amazing, amazing phrase to define <laughs> exactly who I am and people like me are. Uh, only to Google it and to find out, no, I was not the person. Trademark. It's not trademarked. <laughs> Believe it or not, it was actually, it was actually used in reference to stand-up comedians. Oh, ah. So stand-up comedians oh, are that makes sense. comicpreneurs, people who are trying to make a living off their humor. 
I like to think I took it back to I took it over to the comic book side. I've I've never heard any stand-up comedians call themselves a comicpreneur. I have yeah, heard never. other people in comic books call themselves a comicpreneur. So mm. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm yeah. gonna stick my flag in and I'm taking it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, take it. Take it. I, I, I really love it because you know, you're right. Everyone that there's there's a huge pie. There is a huge pie and everyone can get a little bit of piece of it. There's enough for everyone. And I mean, you know, to make it a full-time thing where it's paying all your bills, obviously that's going to take a lot of work, a lot of really smart strategy, a lot of really good, smart moves, and definitely an investment in capital, you know, in the beginning, especially if you're trying to bootstrap, but I think the term is still there. Yeah. You know, I, that's a really great in the beginning, you said bootstrap, and I thought it was a really great way to put it because it's exactly what you're doing. You got your own little startup. You got your own little comic yep. startup. Like yeah. That. So yeah, and I'm know. not I'm not even gonna even suggest that I'm a smart business person because I do. <laughs> it's like my podcast, Certified Comic Talk. It's not about things that are going to lead someone to buy a comic book from me. It's not a sales channel. It's just where I share insights and experiences about starting a comic book shop for other comicpreneurs who are going down the same mm -hmm. journey that I'm going down. Uh, so it's not like the, my audience isn't somebody who's necessarily going to buy something from me. So I don't know if that's a smart business move or not uh, to teach people my tricks for free. I don't know if that's a smart business move or not to give away my free ideas, like escape the reverse escape room. <laughs> I don't know if that's a good business practice or not, but you oh. know what? It makes me happy. And you know, mm. I, I, I'm a firm believer in a, so you always need to be learning something. And I'm also a firm believer. I'm not going to sit here and tell you, I know every single thing there is about the comic book business. I'm not, I'm not pretending to be that guy. I'm not claiming to be that guy, but I'll tell you what, I will tell you how I got to here almost four years from where mm -hmm. I started from. I know how I did that because I did it, right? And right. I can share that with you and I can tell you those things and I can share my stories and I can share my successes and I can share my, my losses and the stupid boneheaded mm -hmm. things I do. So hopefully you can avoid those same kind of things. So it's like, well, mm -hmm. on one hand, yeah. I've got that, the comic book thing that sells and makes money. I just can't help it. But I'm just a, a, an, like an educator at heart, I think. Uh, when I went to college, I had goals of being a teacher. Didn't work out that way. Uh, so just, yeah, I just love sharing and connecting with people and teaching people things. And then obviously learning things, right? You know, it's not just, I have to figure things out too. And a lot of times, especially in comic books, there's not a lot of people out there who are like, here's how you do this. Here's how you get, right. a, you know, an account set up with this distributor. You just kind of have to figure it out. Um, so that's where too, I managed to make a lot of connections with people who are like me or just like, dude, you were the only one who's even talking about this stuff. I didn't know that at the time, but I know that now. <laughs> that's not why I started. I was like, oh, here's a niche that's not exploited. No, it was just, this is just what I like to right. do. So I'm just going to go ahead and do it. I know there's at least one other Jason out there somewhere who's going to stumble across this. And appreciate mm -hmm. it. So, no, I I think I can really appreciate the transparency because I think it builds your brand, and then builds your business. You know, like the flywheel, it builds your business because because they they feel like they can trust you, they feel like they know you, so they they feel like you can sell 
uh, whatever they want to sell on consignment. And and on top of that, you got the good deal. You got the good uh, consignment fee deal. So like, like what you said, it's just, it's just the flywheel uh, for that. So, I mean, you know, like you said, you never know if, if sharing the secrets will bite you in the ass, right? You, you never know. But honestly, I think a ideas are a dime yeah. a dozen, you know, it's all about the execution on that. But, but I mean, I don't know. I think personally, it's really great because you, um, like there's a guy, for example, his name is, is Rudy and his channel on YouTube is called Alpha Investment and he covers Magic the Gathering stuff. And I found him a few years ago. And what I really loved about him is because he, he is a Magic the Gathering guy. He's a TCG guy, um, but he's invested in other hobby collecting stuff that he occasionally talks about. But he originally was in the finance world. And then he left the finance world because it felt scummy to him. It felt terrible to him. So he used to have all those certificates, but then he just opened up an LGS. He opened up his own local gaming store and he's been able to stay strong, you know, through this time. So it's been great for him. I don't, I don't know how long he's been doing it, but at least, I don't know, five years or something like that. So, so he, he introduced me to the idea that collectibles were even an asset. <laughs> and I did not think about that at all, but it a hundred percent fits the definition of an asset, something that appreciates in value over time. The stuff that we have, it appreciates in value over time. And then it also is really cool. Yes. So it's, it's so cool. And so that guy is a really interesting guy because he just puts it all on the table. He's, he's a really smart dude. He, he's very, he, 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 like I said, he just puts it all on the table and he's been able to grow a huge, huge following. He, he got to the point in his Patreon where he completely stopped taking new Patreon people because it was just too much. He couldn't handle it because, uh, in his Patreon tiers, it's, um, he has benefits of where since he has a shop and he has physical product, he can sell those to you like booster boxes and collector items and things like that. You have access to those things. Um, but then you have access to also just other knowledge that he may not share on YouTube because, uh, you know, reasons. So, so it, like those things can get people on board. And when you have your thousand people, you know, however your thousand people actually turns out, I mean, I don't know. It'll just, it'll just keep your business going. And I, and I really like that about him. So with, and by the way, congratulations on being a DC distributor. Cause I, I, I heard that you can now get weekly comics. I mean, if you don't already have a Patreon, I don't think I've seen it anywhere, but you know, if I'm wrong, tell me, but I think it'd be really interesting if you had provided special access. I, I don't know. I think, I think because of everything that, you know, I think you could, if that's something that you were ever interested in in the future, because you're a content creator and people trust you, you know, access is, is a really great thing. And then on top of that, if you've got, you know, your weekly distribution, you can do tiers of some sort of deals of some sort. I don't know how you would make that work, but, um, I don't know. I just think, I, I think you're better off sharing the secret sauce, um, rather than not, like, like I've seen those guys that they talk about how they press their books, but it's like a secret yeah. Oh, yeah. To how they do it. Oh, yeah. And I mean, I get it, but like, bruh, I don't know. <laughs> it just seems silly to me. Like I, I, I understand logically the reason, but at the same time, it's like, uh, I don't know. Yeah. There's yeah, know. Yeah, for, for comic book pressing there. It, it, well, just like in, in a lot of collectibles, you know, there's certain aspects of it where it's very gatekeeper ish. Right. 
where it's like, I know how mm-hmm. to do this thing. I'm making money off doing this thing. And I don't want anybody else to know how to do this thing. Well, the reality is there's hundreds upon thousands of people who can press comic books out there. You, you're not that special. The ones who I mm-hmm. think are successful are the ones who actually have built more of a legitimate business around it and have built the relationships that go along with it. Um, but in terms of some of the other stuff, so yeah, DC New Comics, not for long because that's not going to work out. Um, no, <laughs> no, I'm so excited. It was, it was very exciting. And I did it, I did it because, uh, you know, for, for a couple different reasons. I wanted to dabble in new comics, A, additional income stream, more regular income stream. B, mm-hmm. um, if I ever do get to the point of the brick and mortar shop, I'm going to have to figure this stuff out anyway. So I can hit the ground running mm-hmm. if I already have everything set up and can order and can do all these things and whatnot. So when DC, back when COVID first started, they dropped a Diamond Distribution, which was like this kind of big shock and awe thing because Diamond had a complete legitimate monopoly for all comic book distribution. Uh, DC mm-hmm. decided to stop using Diamond and they propped up two uh, online comic book shops uh, to be distributors, but they gave them new names. So Lunar Distribution and UCS Distribution. Uh, which was Midtown Comics and uh, another comic book shop, HCBS or something like that, based out of Indiana. Um, So these two, like, (laughs) traditional online comic book uh, resellers are now going to be the wholesaler distributors as well. Whole nother story. Anyway, um, so just kind of on a whim, COVID, I'm like, I'm just going to sign up for one, (laughs) right? Why not? Uh, and with Diamond, yeah, I was not? talking to a buddy of mine. He's like, yeah, there's minimum orders and you never know how much shipping is going to be. And it's just really crazy. Hmm. And it's like this big thing. And I'm like, well, so I, that's why I was like, no, I'm never getting new comics. But then when, you know, DC split off from Diamond and went with these two, I'm like, well, I'm at least going to start exploring this. And so I found out I was able to sign up with UCS, um, you know, scan over all my paperwork, my resale certificate, my tax licenses, all this, that, the other. And within a couple of days, I was, uh, a, you know, a, a retailer of new DC books with a 35% discount, this, that, another. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm such a big deal nice. now. Hooray. Um, man, that 35% dis- discount is not enough. It's it, not. It doesn't make. Well, so if you, it, for, for me, for Jason, I should say, for the online mm-hmm. seller. So if I was going to sell new comics on my website. I knew this already, but if I was going to do it, I would have to really invest a lot in the infrastructure set website. I really kind of uh, architecturally backed myself into a corner. Um, And I'll tell it to you because you'll understand. Um, And anybody else listening, if you understand, that's great. If you don't, then just, this won't take long. So (laughs) I build my site, right? You know, it's built on WordPress. Mm -hmm. And instead of using Mm -hmm. the standard WooCommerce slash shop, subfolder i like wanted um a direct name match so it's certifiedcomic.shop slash graded dash comics so that is my main subfolder off the root which means everything i list now gets listed on the graded comics graded dash comics subfolder so mm-hmm. i can't list raw and this is and probably nobody will notice because nobody looks at the URL in Chrome and Safari. They do a great job yes. at even hiding the URL, so you don't even know where you are. But the fact that it would be certified comic that shop slash, that shop slash graded dash comics Aww. slash Wonder Woman number you know sixty four. That's not graded. It's just uh-huh. that just drives me insane. 
So to go back mm, and to I fix that and then to do all the 301 redirects and then just the fear that I would lose my Google juice uh, for doing that. Oh man. So yeah. I'm just like, you know what? I'm going to try this out. I'm going to do it on eBay. Well, okay. there are some people out there who got to be either A, they're getting bigger discounts than the new guy in the block, which I, I suppose is possible, but can't be by too much. But it's like, it's just this right. race to the bottom. It's like, you got a, a like, how are you not selling for, you got a $4.99 cover like, price comic that you paid $3 and 60 cents for or whatever it is, or $3 and 12 cents. Um, but mm. people then are selling that comic online for two ninety nine on eBay. The, and then they're paying the, the eBay economics fees. are not there. I'm like, so yeah. either they're and selling the a crap ton, which they probably are. Right. These are people, you know, you look at their, their legitimate shops and they've got like 54,000, you know, positive feedbacks and whatnot. So they're clearly selling a lot. But for the new guy who's just trying to, you know, you have to, in order to be competitive, if you want to sell this, you have to price at their price point. You're found, right. you're eating those fees and it's just, you can't, you can't make it up because you don't have the volume, but really what that was like kind of the death knell, even though I hadn't ruled it out completely, but then DC just announced two weeks ago that they were actually going just down to one distributor. Now um, they're going their UCS yeah. is going bye-bye and it's just where I have my distribution set up with, it's just going to be from lunar word mm -hmm. on the street is, is that lunar isn't as hip and with it and up to it as UCS is. Uh, and then it was actually found out, at least what's being reported, is that UCS, DC didn't ditch UCS. UCS said, we're out. We don't want to do this anymore. Really? So Lunar was kind of it. So that to me says, so Lunar wasn't like the better one that was outperforming UCS, who I had a great experience with. They have just a really slick back end, piece of cake ordering, piece of cake invoicing, you know, piece of cake mm -hmm. sign up. If they're saying they're out, and Lunar is the one who's going to have to take the whole brunt of all those clients. It doesn't give me a whole lot of confidence that that is the final yeah. solution. So I think I learned enough about new comics at this point in time to know that, Hey, a, if you're going to do it, you have to go all in. Cause I was just like three issues of this and four issues of this. And just really trying to do this, like really um, manicured order, you know, figuring yeah. I could sell all those things and make a couple bucks off it, maybe find something in there, like a, a variant that could be graded and make a few bucks off that and, you know, that mm -hmm. kind of thing. Um, and that was the other private too. When, when DC goes to Lunar, this starts at uh, January, 2021, when now they are putting in place minimum monthly orders, which I apologize for to the community. It's like, this is probably my fault. But like this certified comic shop guys order like 10 comics a week. <laughs> we have to deliver these things to him. <laughs> minimum orders for everybody. So now you got to spend 500 bucks a month uh, as your minimum. Uh, and for, again, for the, the regular comic shop, spend $125 a week, piece of cake. But for a guy like me, if I spend $125 a week on new comics, or geez, that would also cover the cost of grading for six comics too. Right. You know, right. so that's really not where I need to be spending my money at this point in time. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. It seems very high risk, very capital intensive. And even if there are some variants that are worth kind of like getting ordering in bulk and then grading, um, I feel like the grading in itself is a little bit of an investment depending on how many you get. And then I wonder even how reliable each week you know, those variants that are worth getting graded, 
how often they show up. Yeah. So and then and what condition I too? Know. I mean, that's always going to be a thing. It's like when you're getting new comics, mm, you know, true. they're going to you know do their best in handling and whatnot. You know, funny, funny story. The very first order I placed uh, with UCS, it shows up, and there's a store exclusive variant of a uh, Batman ninety two. Was it? Uh, it? Was that the comic that you sold for like two thirty five or yes, something like that? Yes, but it came. But yeah, so yeah, it was uh, Jorge Jimenez exclusive store variant uh, punchline uh, design cover. And yeah, I was like, oh my God, I got to, you know, what a great time to start selling comics. I, I checked on eBay <laughs> and this thing's selling for 300 bucks. I'm like, what if this just paid for the first order all by itself? Hooray. Hell yeah. Um, and of course I was going to grade it because that's what I do. Um, and then I just got this big old spine tick on it. I was like, oh, come on, no. man. But that yeah, that's part no. of the game. Uh, so I still sold right. it for a couple hundred bucks. But the, the funny shorter version of the story is, is that, and I listed on eBay as 9.2 near mint minus 9.2 near mint minus in the title it's in the description it's in the the, the attribute and the pictures I, I you know i've got a galaxy note so i got the little the s pen right so i take a picture i'm like circling it on the picture i'm uploading that in there <laughs> do not miss this <laughs> so i list it the same day i get it it sells like an hour later because again the fomo is kicked in oh my god there's a new you know right. only one limited one per retailer right so that mm -hmm. means there's a legit short run on this you're there's only going to be a few hundred of these that are out there uh-huh um and the guy gets it and then same day it gets delivered he's messaging me saying he wants to return it and he wants to return it because he was really hoping it would be in 9.6 or 9.8 condition yeah except <laughs> your listing <laughs> said was very transparent <laughs> and i'm like brother why did you buy it it's not. I told. I told you up front. It wasn't. Uh, but because uh, I have this weird uh, need to be a top-rated seller on eBay, that means that I have to have, take no questions returns for up to thirty days after the sale. So I couldn't just say no. Mm -hmm. It was right there. I just had to take it back, which was fine. I ended up selling it again, not for as much, but again, I only. I didn't have to pay for it originally right so it was all right. profit uh, after fees and whatnot so it was fine it was just again that's the other part of it too is you never know if you're putting like all your hopes on getting this like this one in this one in 50 ratio variant where you have to order 50 of the regular copies to get that one variant there's no guarantee that that one variant is going to show up and be a 9.8 candidate and if it's not a 9.8 right. candidate for a brand new book and it's a 9.6 you're just not getting you're, you're not getting your money back out of that yeah, I've heard I've heard other comic collectors that don't really sell. They they literally just collect, and they're really really picky about modern comics. That if it's like less than a nine point six or a nine point eight, they don't even yeah. look at it. Which I mean, I get it. I I one hundred percent get it. It's just hard to get it to that point. You know, from from the printing to the distributor to the retail, wherever that is. Like I see comic books all the time that have spine ticks yeah. and they're just sitting there. I'm like, oh, that's so yeah. gross. <laughs> yeah, it's tough. But, it's tough. But it happens. That's I mean, it's just part of, it's part of the game. Part <sighs> of the game. Yeah. Well, that's a that that's that um yeah. So so doing all that stuff, I mean, just hearing you talk about the economics of it, it stresses me out a little bit. So I'm glad you're you're making the right decision on that. And hopefully in the future, when things change a little bit, um, you know, you can get back yeah, to that. It, 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 it really needs to be a full-time, that needs to be a full-time thing. It's nothing, it's mm -hmm. nothing you can do 
nothing that I could do while I'm still trying to do everything else. Right. It just needs, it needs mm -hmm. those hours and those hours aren't there right now. So nor is it worth trying yeah. to find those hours from a financial standpoint. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I agree. The ROI isn't very big there, but I totally understand finding the hours because right now I'm trying to like work on my content occasionally I find cool things that I can just go ahead and get rid of so that I can reinvest into something else. And then on top of that, I'm trying to build a react app that is pretty much a market watcher for yeah. eBay in the Pokemon world, because there isn't much of that. And, and a lot of it that I've seen right now, is just more algorithms rather than charting sales. Okay. Um, like, like the tools that you had mentioned before, there aren't many of those right now for Pokemon from what I've seen, or at least the people that have reached out to me and are really hardcore into the buying and the selling and the collecting and things like that. They don't use anything. Everything is very manual. They're going in to eBay, checking sold yeah. listings, da, 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 da. It, It's a lot of taxing work. And I think sometimes as well, the, the search for the eBay sold listing only goes back so far. So my thought is, is to make like a stock market watcher mm -hmm. type type of app but you know just for just for Pokemon yeah oh that's awesome and being able to look at all Love those it. things so so obviously I know there's ROI in building the content and building the ecosystem and I'm doing that to the best of my ability but then also finding the time and and, and juggling between the two between the app because you know I know that's something that'll be really really helpful and I know you know I can build a really really great tier model yeah where there's ROI for myself and then ROI for, for the customers and the yeah. users. So I understand the struggle. Yeah. Gosh, I understand it's it. Re it's real. <laughs> Do people still say that struggle is real? I don't know. It's struggle. Is <laughs> You've got it's, it. It's real. We say that it's real. I don't know if people say it <laughs> anyway, you know, a great app to check out. It's not similar, but just to give you an idea, it's like the key collector comics app, uh, uh -huh. Nick Colonies who developed that interviewed back him on my podcast, uh, around episode four or five uh anyway you know that's just a, a one of the, a great app uh, it, it only tracks key comics so it's not like this grand comic database that has every comic ever you know it's just key all the back issues just keys, <laughs> yeah. which is great so when you're at the lcs and you're flipping through a you know a, a long box worth of defenders and champions comics that you don't know anything about you can just have the app right mm -hmm. there with you looking out for you know here's here's the 10 issues that you want to you know try to find but they also he also provides like a lot of uh, uh, push notifications for like any kind of market news, like casting announcements for movies like or that. stuff like that that tend to spike the market. So you can you know be prepared, and uh, and so there's a free version of it. I guess the point I'm trying to make, and then there's a paid version of it where you get the extra notifications mm -hmm. and whatnot. And it certainly sounds like you know that's something you can do with your app in terms of monetization. It's like you no. Know, Maybe have some freebies, you know, look up some basic prices and whatnot, you know, look up a limited amount of, of selling history, whatever it is, um, but then unlock alerts and notifications and these kind of things and, and whatever for the exactly. for the subscription price. And I've said this and, you know, and I'm so, I'm so glad to hear you're doing something like this because I've always said, not always, because I just started saying this not that long ago, but I've always said <laughs> anybody or any entity that can organize data and make it digestible for people who need it going to be rich. Megusta. 
mean, because you got this data and all over this place. It's over here. It's over on eBay. It's over on the, you bring it all together in one place and you make it searchable and you organize it and you do things with it. Um, mm -hmm. That's where it's at, man. You'll have customers out the wazoo. Especially the, mm -hmm. Now, I'm not a Pokemon guy. Pokemon. I'm not a Pokemon guy, Jessica. <laughs> I don't... I don't know a, 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 what a squaddle from a from a charbroil, you know. Did I get that right? Squaddle, squaddle and char. You're close. Char, char, char you're, you're close. Guy. It's, it's Squirtle and Charmander. Oh. Squirtle and Charmander. Is that what you meant? I, I don't know. I, I meant. I meant. I, you know, Pikachu. I, who? Bless you. I'm sorry. Pikachu. You got allergic to something. No, no Pikachu. You don't know. <laughs> I just got yeah, you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, I know Pikachu. <laughs> that's all I know. And and Raichu. I'm like you have you have little my kids. kids my sure bless their hearts. Things. They got into Pokemon for six months. Mm -hmm. uh, I bought them a Pokemon book. We played Pokemon Go. Um, they spent a lot of money <laughs> for Pokemon balls, and Aww, then they yay. were over it. Uh, yeah, I was actually uh, kind of disappointed. I was actually looking forward to getting into it, uh, actually the actual game itself, because mm -hmm. uh, having never played it, mm -hmm. it's like for my age, I was a little bit too old when that first came out. I think. Yeah. Uh, I was more into I like gotcha. let's play Dungeons and Dragons, man. I don't get these card-based games. Let's just go play some D and D, son. Doodles. Let's go oh, kill I ourselves some orcs. <laughs> let's go on an adventure. Yeah, yeah. I totally get that. <laughs> Oh, that's yeah. so funny. I had no idea you did D&D, &D, oh, yeah. but, you know, was, true to was, it. I, I, yeah. They don't come much nerdier than me with my upbringing, to be honest. <laughs> I, do, I do like to think I don't... I'm just surprised you didn't do magic. You no, didn't do magic again, that was, I was young? a little too old for that, I think. I think when magic was coming really? out, wasn't that really, like, that really started to hit in, like, what, the late 80s, early 90s? It was, uh, like, 94, okay. 95, so you were in yeah, college, Yeah, right? so in college, I was back into comic books in college, and that's all I had money for. And mm -hmm. I think it just seems confusing. Yeah. But yeah, magic, I mean, hey, if you like D&D, &D, why wouldn't you like magic? It seems... Well, see, that's what I, that, that's why I was confused. I was I was surprised. Yeah. I was like, oh, no. gosh. You know, and, and those those worlds yeah. intersect. Yeah, no, for sure. Especially in the beginning. Sure. No, yeah, I was just more pen but... and paper role-playing kind of guy. No fancy cards. Just roll some dice. Man, now can you imagine playing with a card that's worth like a thousand dollars? You just have it in your hand. <laughs> See, that's a you just like literally you have. See, to I can right understand. See, this is this is what's hilarious <laughs> about about fandoms and geekdoms. I can understand. I don't have a handy one here. A comic book a book be worth me being worth two thousand dollars because it's signed by this person or it's this old or it's this key or there's only so many of them in CGC senses, right? I get that. But when I see someone like, hey, this Pokemon card is going for three bills over on the electronic, <laughs> thing, I'm like, what the fuck are you even You're like, about? what? Yeah, I I understand it because there's a level of functionality. To the comic book, you know, you can enjoy the right. read. You, and with the Pokemon, are you or the magic? Are you supposed to play them? Are you supposed to put them in your deck, or are they slabbed? And it's like you just look at them. You never get to actually use you can, them. <laughs> so I'm gonna like blow yeah, your yeah, mind. Yeah. Um, I've never played Pokemon. I've played Magic: The Gathering once. Um, I'm not like like my my collection is pretty decent I, i'm not like a poke millionaire <laughs> multi-millionaire i'm not but like i just love to look at them i don't know i don't know what it is about it i think it's because i grew up playing sure. the games on the game okay. boy game boy color you know and i never really watched a tv show 
in all honesty, but, but even from the beginning, they were worth crazy. Like the Charizard from the base set, you know, $50. What? Why is a car? Why is a piece of cardboard worth $50? You know, back in the day in the, in the nineties and, uh, in the early two thousands, you know, when I was in middle school, um, I don't know. I literally cannot explain it. I just love how it looks and I just love having it. I just love collecting it. There are a lot of people that consider it art. I don't really like, I don't really think of it that way as art because it's not like, I don't know. I just don't like, I don't know. I, I just don't, I don't think of it as a painting though. It, they're really cool to look at. Um, like 100% really cool to look at. I don't know. I, I maybe it's the clout. Not, I don't really have anything that's even really super clout worthy, but I don't know. I just, I just, you know what I love? Ah, so back here, hold up. Cause the camera, this is a stack of PSA cards. I love having stacks of slabs. Yeah. And, and so that's why Very comics is really, yeah. yeah, it was just so, it was so easy to get into comics. So I'm like, ah, I've got slabs. This is great. I can stack them up. I can, you know, compare, I don't have that many. I have like two. And one of them you got for me, <laughs> assuming you haven't sold it. Uh, no, I haven't done anything. The the one from Bonafide, which was the Miss Marvel, Ms. Marvel yeah. Kamala Khan, yeah. and then yeah, Captain Marvel. Marvel right here. Oh, you can't see. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, which you know, I was really sad a few weeks ago because I was looking for this guy. I'm like, oh, maybe that guy's on his on his website and was already. Yeah, selling. I've had a few of those. Hey, you had like two yeah, creative ones. <laughs> they sell really fast. I'd love me some Star Wars, obviously. So I always try to keep my my books. My what do I have here? Got a bunch of Star Wars comics that I was just getting ready to get listed. Got uh, these action figure variants. Tie Fighter. What? That's cool. Yeah, there's, there's like hundreds of these action figure variants by uh, uh, John. What's his name? Why is this, uh, John Tyler Christopher is the artist who does those. What else do we got here? Yeah, this is another one. Action figure variant. That is so cool. The collector's case. Uh-huh. We've got this is actually pretty cool. This is Darth Maul number one. 2017. Yes. This is the Aspen Comics mm -hmm. variant. Now, again, this had a print run of 3,000, and there's only 91, 9.8s in the CGC census. But what's really cool about this is that this is cover art by Michael Turner, uh, who is a fan favorite, who unfortunately passed away in 2008. Um, but this mm -hmm. is actually was released in 2017. So uh -huh. this is actually um, the original sketch of Darth the Maul here. He did at a San Diego Comic-Con. Uh, that oh, they managed so to cool. of, that they then turned into like nearly a decade after he passed away into an exclusive uh, Michael Turner cover for that. So that's cool. how much does uh, something like that go for? It should go for after that story I just told you, it should go for a lot more. This right here is the $65 comic in 9.8 condition. Shut up. Yeah, and then I want it. I want it right uh, now. It's, uh, I, I just, want it. I literally, the reason why it's sitting right here because I just listed it on my website in Lando number one. I know I got a lot of glare here. Just, uh, just had a bunch of Star Wars consignments come in, so I'm working through. Mm -hmm. Well, that's that's really fun. Yeah. That's really yeah, fun. It's always nice. I'm gonna have to keep an eye out on that Darth, Darth Maul. You know, I, the other day I saw um, I saw the first appearance of Revan, um, which is obviously like super super old, and I. <sighs> 
FOMO so much. I didn't buy it because it was definitely over my price point. Oh, but it's just so fun. It's just so nice to have. What I've been trying to do is I've been trying to collect. So for me, like, like, obviously that's a key, I guess I would say that's mm-hmm. of course a special key for me. Cause I played cool tour, yeah. like, you know, so tour, I love those games. Um, but I also really, really love the comic books from the clone wars right. that was, uh, done by Dave Filoni. I really like, I've always super loved this show. Um, and so I'm trying to get a whole bunch of those and those are actually a lot more expensive than, than yeah. I thought, you know, definitely in the hundreds for a few of those uh, key issues. I mean, Ahsoka has always been my, my very, very favorite Star mm-hmm. Wars character other than Princess Leia. I guess, I guess Princess Leia was always my favorite. And then Ahsoka came around. I'm like, oh man, they're just like neck and neck right there. My, like my favorite Star Wars character. So, so like I, I've got to get Ahsoka's first appearance, which yeah. I haven't gotten yet. Um, I can't remember how much that one's going for right now, that's but expensive. I think I definitely want to get that one. Going. And that's another one that's yeah. been, that's being affected by, you know, the, the visual medium, you know, with, with Ahsoka expected to uh, show up here in the Mandalorian. That's that right. Always, that always creates a spike in the markets. Um, so again, you gotta be, you gotta be careful mm, on that stuff. I need to hold off. But yeah, the, the, yeah. The, yeah, the price on, on that has gone up big time. I have completely, I've completely forgot what? about that. I haven't been watching season two. Yeah, I haven't been watching season two. Um, I'm sure Ahsoka won't. Oh, I don't want to say the things I'm going to say because I feel like you might get sad. I thought season one was kind of boring. So that's why I haven't. Season, I could know. It was so, so slow. I'm, I'm going to be so on slow. another podcast here this week. Just a little podcast is the name of it with my man Cookie. And we're going to be breaking oh. down uh, episode two of The Mandalorian uh for funsies but mm-hmm. i could see your points it it has a methodical pacing to it it's not it's mm-hmm. not your zip around the galaxy romp um mm-hmm. it's really it's, different it's like that on purpose right um it's a little mm-hmm. slow gives you time to breathe gives you time to explore but if you're used to your star wars being you know zipping through hyperspace pod racing through tatooine and all those things then yeah this might feel a little bit but um, yeah, it's good. I like it. I mean, I, I definitely didn't dislike it. I, I will say that because there was a lot of really, really, really great moments when the Mandalorian and the child are interacting. Like all of those interactions are great and hilarious. Mm. Um, and I mean, of course, I want to know, you know, how the story, the back, chi- the, the backstory of the child. Like, I, of course, want to know that. Um I really wish there was a little bit more I got with some of the character arcs. Like, um, I, I wish I got a little bit more there. Um, but what I do appreciate that it did seem more character driven than a lot of the Star Wars media that we've sure. been seeing lately, which, you know, I don't know. People call me a boomer specifically because I'm just a super fan of the original trilogy. I haven't even seen the full latest trilogy just because I just couldn't do it. Um, but I mean, if anyone who liked it, like, that's fine. I'm not judging you if you liked it. I just personally did not. So, and and I have my reasons, like, I don't know, but then, then I get called a boomer nah. because I liked the originals. I, I love like the, original. the originals. I can just rewatch too. it all the time. Oh, wait, well, I'm not a boomer. I'm a Gen Xer, but anyway, <laughs> let's not go down that yeah. road, but to your point, no, and everything doesn't have to be, you know this binary world that we seem to have found ourselves in where you, you either have to love it with all your heart or hate it with 
all the hatred you can muster and you, you just not be into something that should be cool right you know Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I really wanted to like the the new Star Wars movies when they came out so bad. Um, Me too. And I love Rogue One, which really makes a lot of people go like, "You love Rogue One?" I'm like, "I love Rogue One. Rogue One is the shit, as far as I'm concerned, because that is like the the chapter before A New Hope, which is my favorite Star Wars movie. Right? That's, That's it. Like leads mm-hmm. right into it. So it's like for me, it's like I get to see more of the very first Star Wars movie I ever saw. 40 years later. So that's my favorite because it ties right into it. Um, I mean, they did take that one line, that one little line and then turned a whole, what, two and a half hours. I don't know how many. So good. Yeah. And uh, a mutual acquaintance of ours. um, He walked out of that movie after 15 minutes at the movie theater. And I just never understood how you could, (laughs) A, you just paid a a pretty, (laughs) you know, nominal sum between the mm-hmm. ticket and some mm-hmm. snacks, maybe something to drink, and then you leave that And then just walked out? Mm-hmm. Oh, just no. I, th- I think he was just trying to show off. I think he went in not wanting oh. to like it, and was just like, I'm going to show Jason. I'm going to go in there, and I'm just going to leave after 15 minutes. Oh, man. Well, the one thing that I... So I love character-driven plots, um, which Rogue One is not. But that doesn't mean it's terrible. That doesn't mean it's not bad. Um, I think once like halfway through where all the action really starts, it's a really exciting film. Don't get me wrong. The one thing I specifically didn't like, and I don't think I have the words to articulate it because I'm not that like, I don't review I, I really didn't media like that, like that. Stupid part where she said something <laughs> stupid. <laughs> you know, I actually didn't really like how they took Saul's character because Saul, I first saw him in Star Wars <laughs> Rebels. Like I watched all right. the cartoons. Like, yeah, I watched Star Wars Rebels, and so there were some similarities. But I, I don't know what it was about his character, and maybe. You know, obviously there was some time between Star Wars Rebel Saul and, you know, Rogue One Saw. So he's going to have some growth of characterness in between. So I don't, I don't know how reasonable my, just, I didn't really recognize the character. Yeah, it goes <laughs> but, back to, and I, I, I never watched any of the Clone Wars cartoons, but uh, he goes back to the Clone Wars is, is where he originates from. And so. He, oh yeah, Clone Wars. I was saying. Well, Rebels. he was also right. in Rebels. So he, you're supposed to see this. Uh, growing radicalism in Saw from, you could see the seeds of it apparently in Clone Wars. Again, I never saw those episodes. Uh, and then you see it more in a couple, it's one or two episodes of Rebels he shows up in. And so that then by the time you get to Rogue One, not that in most people would only be meeting him for the first time in Rogue One since not everyone watches the cartoons. Um, he's like a completely different thing. Now that movie had problems. They went through complete drastic reshoots with a totally different director it had script rewrites, it had everything, and I, I can see its flaws, but I just love, I love it, A, because they all die. That shouldn't be spoilers by this point in time, uh, mm-hmm. because I, that's really where I was with that. I'm like, this is owned by Disney. In theory, everybody who's a part of this team should die, because that's, right. what, the, that's what the canon tells us. All of it. But this is Disney. Yeah. Are they going to? Are they going to do they something gonna leave a clever little out for Jen Erso and Cassie and Andor to survive this thing, and then they can just say they escaped. Everyone else died except for these two. They escaped on a shuttle. 
they realized how lucky we, they were. They got married, they had kids, and they lived happily ever after in a galaxy far, far. I thought that this they were going to do. So when they croaked with everybody else, it's like you did it. You like that? You did it, mm-hmm. Disney? You did it. You killed them all. Now look, Disney likes to kill people, right? Frozen, <laughs> Tangled, you name it. All those you movies. can't watch a Disney or Pixar movie without somebody dying right up front. That's just how they. That's how they get you in there. So, but still, to kill them mm-hmm. all. Wasn't expecting yeah. that. I was, I was glad they did. I was glad they all I, died. I, I was that was why I liked Rogue One so much, because they all died. Yeah, you know, I, I can definitely appreciate you saying that, yes, there are obvious, like, flaws, and to some extent, they're objective, and to uh, other extents, they're subjective, but that you still enjoyed the film. That's how I feel. I know you haven't seen the show. That's how I feel about Legend of Korra, though. There's a lot of people that really shit on that <laughs> show, and there are legitimate reasons to shit on that show. But I still watch it. I, I still rewatch it, and I still like it. Maybe, maybe it's because um, I like the idea of what it could be. Like I like the idea of it. The execution was kind of, eh. but but I still like the idea behind the characters. So I, I definitely get it. And I'm I'm that person too, where I don't like plot armor. I I just don't like it. That's why I had such big issues with season eight of Game of Thrones just because the storytelling, I mean, for the past few seasons, it had been kind of shifting its its style of storytelling a little bit at a time. And then season eight comes and it's very mm. drastically different, but you know, for reasons, all, all the reasons that are some, you know, legitimate for sure. But, um, but yeah, I, if a character is going to die, like, I don't know. I, I really loved game of Thrones because of the fact that everyone had the chance of yeah. dying and that was like a little bit of realism within the fantasy um which i mean i know star wars is sci fantasy no science fantasy and not sci-fi like the star trek versus oh, star wars <laughs> like i don't know the term <laughs> i don't know the terms but yeah anyways well, <laughs> no so what, what i was gonna say hey also never seen a single second of game of thrones so just putting that out there uh, oh, couldn't okay. tell you Good. anything about totally. that either. But uh, what I will say is like, what's great about whether it's the movie, movies or TV shows or comic books or cards or whatever it is, it's not necessarily how good that thing is uh, or if it's critically acclaimed. Growing up, whenever I would hear that something was critically acclaimed, like a movie, I was like, well, that's not one I want to watch because critically acclaimed means it's boring. I don't want critically acclaimed, right? <laughs> so I just want something that makes me that I have an emotional connection with. And so it can mm-hmm. it can be like the stupidest thing. It could be Police Academy 3. I love Police Academy right. 3 because for my own reasons, <laughs> right? The same thing. I love Star Wars and I love yeah. Rogue One because it tapped in to not just the nostalgia for Star Wars, like the Force Awakens did. They're like, oh, this looks, this mirrors like a Star Wars movie. It feels like a Star Wars movie. Uh, Rogue One was beyond mm-hmm. that. It's like that movie that you grew up, that you saw at the movie theater when you were five years old, right? When you saw that Death Star fly across the screen, like the seemingly endless totally. thing. And now here's this other movie 40 years later that tells you why that Death Star was flying across the screen, was doing that. that ship, how mm-hmm. you got to that point. That's like this direct correlation to, to those feelings, to that emotion. So yeah, it could have been like a big giant turd on a piece of toast. And I would be sitting here and be like, that was the best damn turd on a piece of toast I ever had, Just So mm-hmm. good. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, and the scene one or two before that, where you see Darth Vader, yeah. 
that was a very good yeah. scene. That was a very and good like scene. anything, if you think about something too much, you're just going to ruin it for yourself. And so I used to be True. big, like in like you're during the prequel area of Star Wars, I was on my I was on the boards. I was that annoying forum guy, um, who would just argue with people. You know, before there was Reddit, there was the Force.net, which mm -hmm. was like specifically you know forums for for Star Wars. And you're just fighting with people on the internet, which is never a good idea. But I was younger. I had nothing better the to do. The prequels are amazing. Um, <laughs> Did I trigger anyone? We've gone so long now. I don't. I was going somewhere with that, and I just totally sidetracked. Sorry if that was my fault. No, it's not your fault. It's my own fault. It's like we've been we've been chatting for two hours now, uh, and it doesn't oh, feel man. like it. Um, no, not at oh all. Oh my god, I was going to say something so Which, astute. I'm by sure. The way, I was going to say, by the way, I can give you an out. We have been on for two hours and I scheduled this for an hour and 30. So I totally want to be respectful oh of your time because I know you're an hour ahead. I don't get to talk to grown up people about these things that I like very often for an extended period of time. So I'm just, I'm just super happy that you asked me to come on the show and, and you really shared 75% of the mic time with me, which I super appreciate with. I must return the favor. <laughs> you can come on to my podcast. And you can talk about starting a nerd-based business like about uh, cards and things and other stuff that there is and, and building apps and we can have a good old time. And then I will dedicate 75% of my mic time to you. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. I, I would, it would be so much fun. And honestly, that's what I really, really love about just the content creation in general, because when I was a kid, I was ashamed to be into Pokemon or to be into Star Wars. And as an adult and the things that I like, I still feel like I'm not mature for my age because I still like these things. And but then I see other people and, and I connect with other people that aren't immediately around me yeah. <laughs> that that just can talk and have the conversations with me. So I, I'm totally with you. on. Well, that. I've got good news it's from nice your future is that that childlike feeling of, of wonder and amazement will never go away. You will get to oh, my age well, one okay, day and you'll be like, am I really almost 50? Because I sure as hell don't feel like I'm 50. Yeah. Sure as hell don't act like yeah, I'm 50. 50. And the things no, I have I around me not make me feel like 50. You, you, <laughs> I just think it's funny that, you know, I'm, I'm my age and I have this whole wall behind me, you know, and this wasn't a, um, like, for the content, this was a, because I wanted to, and I'm like, I have all this stuff. Like this isn't even half of the stuff that I could probably put up and display. And I wish I was zoomed out so I could show you everything. Cause it's That'd just awesome. cool. But yeah, I feel weird. I feel weird sometimes when, when other people's thoughts get into my head, I'm like, Oh, that's weird. Why would you have these things? But honestly, it's so cool. I love it. I don't know. I, I part of me cares. The other part of me is just going to continue yeah, to do it because no, it's, awesome. it's, it's great. So. Uh, what do I what do I say? Let your geek flag fly. Because mm -hmm. who cares? So, so then are we are we nerdypreneurs? Uh, we could be. We could be nerd, mm. nerd, nerdypreneurs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because you got the action figures. Do you have Hot Hot Wheels? Uh, my son does, but they, they're they're mm. toys that he gets he plays with. So <laughs> at that point, they're just toys. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I totally. But get Mr. That. Snake Eyes it's... here, he doesn't get to open and play with Snake Eyes. That's mm -mm. just a no-no. Mm -mm. How much are those worth? These, these, again, like... these are the 25th anniversary. Uh, so these came out in what? That would have been '98. You know, it's like a fifty-dollar action figure right here. Um, okay. Still kind of cool. I, I really do. It's, sometimes I'm tempted to open it. So I, I get all these ideas for videos for my YouTube channel that I don't upload videos to anymore because I don't have that kind of time. 
uh, I'm like, it would be fun just to open men on card toys and play with them. And I'm sure that would just like freak a lot of people out. Seriously, you know, I think you would get a ton of views for that because um, those, those booster boxes that open for Pokemon uh-huh. that they sell for like 200,000, 375,000. Um, uh, uh, there's, there's going to be a point where there's only like one left you know, that's unopened, that's still sealed, original, original factory seal. So as cool as it is, I also, it makes me very anxious. I don't have, uh, you know, any of those booster boxes, like those original vintage ones. I don't have those because those are definitely a little bit out of my price range. But I mean, of course, if I was someone who was collecting for the long term, like every time that's, you know, that your pocketbook gets bigger every time one gets opened, but um that would be cool though back to the point of unboxing those things i i bet you could get a lot yeah, of views yeah do, do it just at the same time i i want to tell you yeah no, oh no i'm not going part to. of me is I'm like, not going yes. to. I want to. <laughs> but it's like i feel like in order to grow a youtube channel you have to do something that's a little bit and this is i don't know if it's true or not i just feel like you have to do something that's a little bit out there that's a little bit different and so by mm-hmm. like taking things that you wouldn't normally do um you know, we'll get you subscribers and then you get enough subscribers where you can finally start monetizing your channel. And then, you know, theoretically you're monetizing your channel where you can now afford to buy more of these things where you create mm-hmm. more content, wacky content of like, I set this, you know, 1977 Luke Skywalker action figure on fire, you know, because I could, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I can definitely understand that. It it's It's been a really interesting journey for me in terms of content creation because if you try to keep up with the joneses and try to you can go real quick if what you're trying to do is show con like like even if you just stuck to instagram and you want to take the coolest pictures of the coolest cards it's still going to cost you thousands um if you want to get the coolest charizards you know just the Mm -hmm. coolest most i mean those are going to get the most likes you know those are going to think be the things that people want to see so you can easily overextend yourself if you want to keep up with the joneses like that so 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 you got to find ways to just be more creative which i think there are a lot of people that do a really good job with that that don't necessarily have those collections but still have really cool engaging you know following and stuff like that but um but yeah i i feel like if you if you had like an unboxing channel where it was just like unbox the rarest things you know, I mean, well, you got to get the rarest yeah. things. How much are those rarest things? <laughs> you you got to get 10,000 subscribers before the channel starts making you any money, you know? So. Right, right. And what's really interesting about that, just as an aside, I was, I've been, you know, since I've been doing the podcasting, I've been trying to understand more and more of the business side of podcasting and getting people's perspective on podcasting versus YouTube. And a lot of those folks have said that they they started out YouTube first and then they created a podcast. And what was crazy to them, that was kind of shocking to them, is they were able to grow their podcast really fast and monetize a lot more quickly than YouTube, um, which which is really interesting. YouTube, I can understand why you don't do it because it's hard. It takes a long time to, to, to put out that content. What I'm trying to do is incorporate that into my workflow because I feel like I could grow my podcast if I can mm-hmm. just chop it up, but that's just hard in itself. Oh God, it's so tedious and I'm trying my best, but, but, um, 
you know, I, I, so, so all that to be said, it's really great to have a podcast because well, A, I'm riding the Pokemon wave with, with all that. So that's been really nice and really cool. Um, you know, and I think B, it's a lot easier too, because it's just your voice versus worrying about, you know, the visual part of it that comes with all the editing and da 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 da. I don't know. I'm not an editor. (laughs) Just learn how to kind of do it and then go with it. But yeah, um, no, no, not at all. I've tried to hire people on Fiverr to, to do those things. And it's really expensive. It can get to be really expensive for each episode. And I'm just like, I I just got to figure it out. I just got to sit down and figure it out. Fiverr to me, Fiverr. Oh my God. It's like, it's like when you go to the dollar store only to find out that everything's not a dollar and it kind of like rocks your world. It's like, wait a second, I thought we were at the dollar store. Uh, Everything's not a dollar. It's like when you go to Fiverr, like, what do you mean that's $300? I thought everything was five bucks. Yeah, yeah. No, not anymore. No. And I I mean you can find some really great some really great talent on there like when it comes to doing design things. I'm trying to redesign a logo right now for not a bad price, but um yeah. No, I I I understand. I understand. It's it it it's an interesting. And and especially if you're not really um you know, fully monetizing like myself, like this is all just completely out of pocket yeah. and it's been fun, you know. It's it it'll be totally worth it whether it works out or yeah. not. Like the experience oh, yeah. can't, was. Can't beat that. I mean, it, it really is. It's like, yes, monetization is the goal. Um, but in order to get monetization, you have to be consistent. And that's like my biggest thing. It's like my podcast episodes are once every couple months these days. Uh, again, it's like, it's this weird thing. When I first started the shop, like I said, like two hours ago, um, I, I was just creating content because I, I didn't have much to sell. I was waiting for things to be graded. So I would just create content. Uh, Mm-hmm. The consequence of that was the co- the content started driving traffic, traffic started driving sales, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. The more sales I have, the less time I have to create content. Um, right. And now it wasn't just writing blogs. It was, oh, I want to have my podcast and I want to have my YouTube channel. And I'm trying to, to write, record video. All and the then things. it's like, I can't, All the things. and being a blog, again, I'm an old school blogger going from way back in the day. That's just kind of, as much as I love to podcast, as much as I love being on camera, um, blogging is still kind of like my comfort zone uh, in mm-hmm. terms of just being able to sit down and, and write about stuff. Um, so that's just like, if I can only do one of those three things, that's probably what I'm going to default to is, is just cranking out some, mm-hmm. some content. Cause I know that will drive traffic to the site. Um, you know, and again, as, as big as YouTube is, is it, you know, I can't put out weekly content. I can't, I can't put out weekly audio content. How the hell am I going to put out weekly video content? Oh, 100%. Um, I'm definitely with you on that. And what I'm trying to do is take the approach of what um, uh, people do in the music industry. So what's kind of funny, this is going to be like, this is a totally weird way to take this conversation, but I kind of see podcasters as independent music artists because we own publishing we own all the things you know honestly i don't really know the words we own our work we own we own our stuff and so with that said what i'm trying to do is kind of take some of those find find what nuggets i can take from that industry and and apply that to to podcasting and and one thing that they do um is well, some artists will crank out, you know, however many songs a week, a month, 
a year, however many that is. Um, and, and they might keep it at a consistent basis. And then some will, will release a song and, and work it for two to six months, try to get it on the radio, try to get it, you know, just, just market the song. Right. And then they'll have another song to, to release after that, once they've fully marketed that song, and then they'll, they'll market that one again. And so what I want to kind of do is take that concept, but obviously make the time frame a lot smaller and so that I can release have content in the back end that I can release consistently but fully work a podcast right yeah, yeah. so that's why I'm trying to move content over to YouTube over to really weird places like Twitch and and hopefully like you know, move some things to IGTV, you know, all those things to uh, just kind of grow everything together. And like what we talked about building an mm -hmm. ecosystem where those things feed each other and then just continue to grow um, organically, which is obviously easier said. <laughs> sounds so simple. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. It's like, yeah, that's very straightforward. That's a solid strategy. It's just just need to, You just need to do all of the things, just like you said. That's you all. You just need to do it. That's yeah, yeah, exactly. But, but, you know, when you start in the beginning, you're like, uh, you, you, I don't know, for me personally, at least you end up biting more than oh, you, sure. you. And you start to overextend yourself. You're like, okay, I'm going to add this platform, add this platform, add this platform. And I remember a long, long time ago, we talked about not overextending yourself. And sometimes you don't realize that you are until you try it, which is totally okay. Like, that's fine. Like you yeah. learned, but you know, but then you realize like, you know, just scale it back, try to do what you can and, and focus on just doing one thing the whole way through, which is my struggle doing one thing the whole way through, um, and really taking advantage of a platform, uh, because I don't know. And then just expand from there if you can add more, but yeah, you know, yeah. It's a lot of things, but you know, I know yeah, I, if, if you're willing to do a part two, like I said, you know, I know it's really late for part you two. I mean, or it's getting go really two hours and 15 you. minutes. There's more. Well, you know what? I like, I had all these cool questions that I wanted I know, to ask and you I, and I rambled way too much. No, I love it. Cause you know so much. And I think one question that I really wanted to get kind of your thoughts on, um, which is especially because of the fact that you come from a different industry that's been around for so long, just like baseball cards, I feel like there's things that one industry can teach another because of the age and how long it's been around. I mean, cause people are going to be people, yeah. right? So maybe there's some minor differences, but I feel like there's things in the comic book world that will still apply to Pokemon or, or, or still, still apply to, to magic, the gathering. And, and so I was just, you know, and I don't know how much you know about those markets. So maybe asking you the question of what can a Pokemon investor learn from comic book investing, but I guess maybe we could take the question more general is what can a hobby investor or a hobby collector learn from comic books specifically? Like I, that's a, that's a big question. Yeah, that is a big question. I think, I think the spin on it I would take is, is that I feel personally, it's super duper helpful if you are passionate about whatever that, that thing it is, whether it's comic books or Pokemon magic, whatever. Mm -hmm. Can you get into it? If you just like 
I hear comic books are worth, in, you know, flipping and investing and speculating on. Mm-hmm. I like that Iron Man movie. I'm going to do this. Can you do that? You can, right? Or could you get those dollar signs in your eyes uh, when you see some of the prices that some of these Pokemon cards are going for and be like, mm-hmm. I had one of those, or I have one of those, or I think I have one of those, you know, and just, you know, want to get into, yeah, I suppose you could, but it's your passion that's going to drive it forward mm-hmm. for the thing that you're doing. So that way it never feels like work. Like I said, I've been doing this with four kids, a wife, a full-time job for almost four years, nights, hour, nights, early mornings and weekends. And is it hard? Yes. Is it a lot of work? Yes. But I'm telling you, I haven't gotten to the point where I'm just like, oh, I need a break. It's just like, yeah, let's do it. Let's go. Uh, not every night is a great night, you know, as productive as it can be because maybe it was a hard day. Maybe the kids were a little nutty and it's like, I just don't want to do that. But at the same time, Mm -hmm. it's like this really, it's this thing that you can get into and you can just do. And it also helps too, that my wife, we mentioned it earlier, you know, she is a a quilter preneur. That doesn't sound as right. Anyway, uh, you know, (laughs) so she has her own things well, so we can connect uh, still during the day, you know, after work. And then once the kids are in bed, we're both totally comfortable, you know, hugging a kiss, see you later, where she goes and works on her business. I go and work on my business. I think I'd feel a lot That's different awesome. if she wasn't doing that. The amount of time that I put into this, if she wasn't putting in equal time, actually sometimes even more time than what I put into mine uh, with mm-hmm. hers. Uh, if she was just like sitting out in the living room, you know, watching Real Housewives of Oakland County or whatever it is, I'd probably feel bad. <laughs> spending all this much time, but knowing that we're both, you know, Mm -hmm. and honestly, we're both doing these things for our family, right? You know, to make sure that our family has the best life possible uh, and can experience as many of the wonderful things that are out there to experience, you know? So that's why we consistently, constantly bust our ass. Uh, And you can do that when you love the thing that you're doing. Like if you're just trying to, it's just my opinion, but if you're just trying to get into, to chase an angle or to, to tackle a niche, it's like, I see this a lot in like the SEO world, right? Where it's like, yeah, I'm looking for a hot niche that I can monetize with my AdSense, you know? They're like this thing you know nothing about, that you have no passion about, but you just want to monetize your blog. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's never going to work. Or you're you're, you're just going to sell yourself short if you don't care about that thing in a deeply and emotional way that you're trying to turn into some kind of profit center. You know, maybe I'm just a rainbows and puppy dog kisses kind of guy, but that's just what I believe in, man. Love what you do and and Mm -hmm. they will love you back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, yeah, you bring up a lot of really good points about that. And I've seen those people, actually, those SEO people that will decide they want to build a website for dentists in Naperville and then, you know, sell the listings and build like, I mean, which is great. It's fine. It's totally cool. If you want to go ahead and do that. Totally fine. No judgment whatsoever. Um, but you're, but I like how you put it chasing the angles. Uh, Cause I do see that a lot. And we've obviously seen a lot of that in comic books. We see it a lot more, especially within Pokemon, uh, like, you know, with the, with, and it's not really even been a boom. It's been just like a gradual uh, growth in Pokemon. But once it became more popular because celebrities were kind of like buying up really, really nice, cool Mm -hmm. stuff, um, it it seemed like a boom to a lot of people that hadn't really been doing it um, or just completely new to it. So, so definitely a chasing angles kind of thing um, for, for a lot of folks out there. And, um, I mean, that's fine. If if that's what you're going to do is chase the angle. That's fine. That's tough work to make it profitable. Um, so if you put in the work that, you know, do you, but 
I think personally, it's much more enjoyable to think about it in the long term. Because, you know, again, if you buy something that you freaking love, whether it works out or not, you still got something that's really cool. Boom. Simple. That makes it a lot less stressful. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. So. Yeah. What are you going to do with all these leads for people looking for dentists? (laughs) If you can't sell them to the dentist's office, then you just, yeah. Anyway. It's a, it's a lot. I mean, I don't know, like go ahead and try it and do what you want to do. You know, I guess money's great. I didn't really money's know. important, but, but it's not, it doesn't make you happy. Okay. So mm-hmm. it doesn't really, mm-hmm. it doesn't. Um, so just do something you love that you love to do. I mean, really, that's what it comes down to. If you love Pokemon cards and you want to try to, to side hustle your way into a few bucks, do it, man. But if you know, mm-hmm. like, if you're like Jason, and you don't know a, a Bulba guy from a char dude, Bulba but you guy. know that the one dude from 1994, <laughs> you know, pull you in some money. So mm-hmm. you want to get in on that action. You're just, you're not, you're not going to. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. I, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you hundred percent on that. I was just talking to some guys that do Pokemon, you know, um, buying and selling full time. And it's really, really cool that they do that. Now they're putting in like 16 hours a day. You know, it's, it's a lot of work to do what they're doing to make a full-time income, but it's nice to at least hear their stories because a, you know, it's possible like, oh shoot, this thing that I've loved ever since I was a kid, you can actually support yourself from it. A that's fun. But, and so B, even if it doesn't work on a full-time basis, you still, you know what they say, if you shoot for the stars, you're landing. You land in Fort Wayne, Indiana. (laughs) Fort Wayne, Indiana. Isn't that where those really awesome donuts are? I have no idea. Are? I just think oh, it's a funny okay. name. <laughs> oh, <laughs> funny place. Shoot for the moon and land in Fort Wayne, Indiana. In Indiana. <laughs> just, just the randomness. Yeah. No offense to the lovely people of Fort Wayne, Oklahoma. Indiana, by the way. Oh. <laughs> yeah, but but yeah, even if even if it's not like a full-time gig, you still aren't going to regret the time that you spent no. into it. it. It might be a little annoying, like some days, like what you said, when you're not super productive. I'm a really, really type A person. So I feel like I've had a good day when I can check oh, out yeah. a whole Did bunch the of things. Yep. And then when I'm not, yeah, when I'm not, I, I, I don't get like depressed about it, but I just get a little down on myself. But, um, you know, it is what it is. Like when you're, you know, I don't know. I don't want to talk myself up, but anyways, <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> Yeah, but um, well, I guess what we could do now is um, I think that's a really good place to leave it off. I think that's a really good like ending message. So since you have got a lot of links, tell everybody where they can find you. Oh my you. God, you can find me everywhere. But actually the easiest place to find me is on my website, Certified Comic Shop. That's certifiedcomic.shop, certifiedcomic.shop. And if you go to uh, the about page or the contact page on there, you can find all my bona fides where to find me. But on Instagram is where I spend most of my time on the social media at Certified Comic Shop. But I'm also on Twitter at Certified Comics. I got a Facebook page. Don't go there. It's a ghost town. But it's there. It's like if you like really love Facebook and feel like that's the only way you want to, to get to know Jason, you, you sure can. Uh, and if you ever mm-hmm. want to talk comics, man, just hit me up. Email. That works too. Jason at certifiedcomic.shop. Yeah. You will find me. And uh, oh, if you're on the iTunes Certified Comic Talk, the podcast for comicpreneurs. Boom. Mm. Thank you. Going on YouTube. That's awesome. no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, and on. 
Oh, wait. <laughs> Just come to my website and find all their... That'll that'll work. I'll put I'll put all your links in the uh, oh, show notes. So we'll we'll have I links for that it. in the thank SEO. You so much. You know all those things. No, I appreciate you for coming on, and and we'll definitely keep in touch yeah. for you know a part two on whomever's you know part three, four, five. I don't yeah, know. I don't care. I could talk about all these. Yeah, I, yeah. I can do two and a half hours on a Sunday evening anytime.